The Death of Saul, and other Estevad prize poems and miscellaneous verses. By J. C. Manning Carl Morgamg. Swansea, J. C. Manning 9 Castle Street. And all booksellers. Price 6 shillings. 1877. Death of Saul and other poems. The Estevad Committee and the Death of Saul. Being restricted by the Wrexham Estevad Committee to 200 lines, I was obliged to lop away from the bulk of the following poem just sufficient for their requirements. I have always declaimed, from a physical point of view, against the pernicious influence of light lacing, and this being so, it was not likely I could go at once and mentally encase my delicate muse, for a permanency, in a straight waistcoat, at the behest of any committee in the world. What would she have thought of me? If, therefore, the committee, or any member of it, should by chance observe that the death of Saul, as I now produce it, is of a more comprehensive character than the death of Saul, for which they were good enough to award me the first prize, they will see the poem without the temporary stays in which I was necessitated to encase it in order to make it acceptable to them and their restrictive tastes. To squeeze a poem of nearly four hundred lines into the dimensions of one of two hundred is, in my opinion, an achievement worthy of a prize in itself, and as half of the original had a gold medal awarded to it, the whole of it, I should think, ought to be worth two. I trust us Thedvad committees, when they contemplate putting the curb upon us poor poets, will think of the Wrexham National Estevad, and how half the death of Saul took a first prize. To the public. Let the bright sun of approbation shine in warmth upon the humble rhymester's line, and, like the lark that flutters toward yes the light, he spreads his pinions for a loftier flight. The chilling frowns of critics may retard, but cannot kill, the ardor of the bard, for, gaining wisdom by experience taught, as grass grows strong from wounds by moors wrought, success will come the poet's fears to assuage, crowning his hopes with poesy's perfect page. Preface The verses which make up this volume have been written at intervals, and under the most varied and checkered circumstances, extending over a period of five and twenty years. If, therefore, they bear upon their surface variety of sentiment and incongruity of feeling, that fact will explain it. I am fully aware that some of the pieces are unequal in merit from a purely artistic point of view, but I have felt that my audience will be varied in its composition, and hence the introduction of variety. The tone, however, of the whole work, I believe to be healthy, and where honest maxims, combined with homely metaphor, are found to take the place of high constructive art, they will, I know, be excused by votaries of the latter, for the sake of those whose hearts and instincts are much more sensitive to homely appeals than to the charms of mere artistic effect. The pieces have all been written, together with many other effusions, at such leisure moments as have been accorded to one who, during the whole time of their composition, has had to apply himself, almost without cessation, to the performance of newspaper press duties, and those who know anything about such things need not be told that a taste for versification is, to oppress man, as a rule, what poverty is to most people. A very inconvenient and by no means a profitable companion. In my own case, however, the inconvenience has been a pleasure, and I have no reason to find fault as to profit. From the fitful excitement of journalistic duties I have turned to, making poetry, as Spencer defines the art, as a jaded spirit looks for rest, and have always felt refreshed after it. My only hope in connection with the poetry I have thus made is, 
that those who may incline to read what I have written will take as much pleasure in reading as I have taken in writing it, and that the result to myself will be a justification for having published the work, to be found only in that public appreciation which I hope to obtain. Swansea. J. C. Manning. To the Most Honorable the Marquess of Butte, with a grateful sense of his lordship's generous and otherwise disinterested desire, in accepting the dedication of the work, to alone further the views and encourage the literary aspirations of the writer, this volume, by his lordship's permission, is dedicated, with every sentiment of respectful admiration of his talent and worth, by his lordship's obliged and obedient servant, the author. Death of Saul. Prize Poem. Wrexham National Estadvad, 1876. The vicar of Wrexham delivered his award on the twenty-eight poems in English or Welsh, on the death of Saul, Marwileth Saul. The prize five pounds fives. Was given by Dr. Williams, chairman of the committee, and a gold medal was given by the committee. The vicar said the best composition was an English poem, signed David. It was written in a style well adapted to the subject, in language dignified and sonorous, with not a little of the rhythmic cadence of Paradise Lost. It was real poetry, suggestive, and at times deeply impressive, the poetry of thought and culture, not of mere figure and fancy, and it was well calculated to do honor to its author and to the National Estevad of Wales. David was among his fellow competitors as Saul was amongst his brethren, higher than any of them from his shoulders upwards and to him he awarded the prize which his poem well deserved. Historical Note The design followed out in the succeeding poem has been to touch upon the leading historical incidents of Saul's career that lead up to and explain his tragic death on Mount Gilboa. With him, nearly three thousand years ago, commenced the monarchical government of the Israelites, who had previously been governed by a theocracy. The prophet Samuel, who anointed Saul, was the last of the high priests or judges under this theocracy, which existed for eight hundred years, and died out with the acceptance of Saul, by the Israelites, as king of all the tribes of Israel. The incidents touched upon range from the proclamation of Saul as king, by Samuel, 1095 BC, to the fall of the hapless monarch at the Battle of Gilboa, forty years afterwards. Death of Saul as through the waves the freighted Argosy securely plunges, when the lodestar's light her path makes clear, and as, when angry clouds obscure the guide that leads her on her way, she strikes the hidden rock and all is lost, so he of whom I sing, favored of God, by disobedience dimmed the light divine that shone with bright effulgence like the sun, and sank in sorrow. Where he might have soared up to the loftiest peak of earthly joy and sweet foretaste of heavenly joys to come called from his flocks and herds in humble strait and made to rule a nation, high in heaven the great Jehovah lighting up the way, on earth an upright judge and prophet wise sent by the Lord to bend his steps aright, sons dutiful and true, no speck to mar the noble grandeur of a proud career, yet from the rays that flickered o'er his path, sent for his good, he wove the lightning shaft that seared his heart, e'en as the stalwart oak, soaring in pride of power, falls neath the flash, and lies a prostrate wreck, like one of old, who, wrestling with the orb whose far-off light gave beauty to his waxen wings, upsoared where angels dared not go, came to his doom, and fell a molten mass. So, tempting heaven, Saul died the death of disobedient pride and self-willed folly, curses of mankind, sins against God which wrought the fall, and sent, 
as tempests moan along the listening night, a wail of mournful sadness drifting down the annals of the world, unearthly strains, cries of eternal souls that know no rest. Episode the First The Israelites demand a king, and Saul is given to rule over them. God save the king! The Israelites exclaimed, eh? When, by the aged prophet summoned forth to Mizpeh, all the tribes by lot declared that Saul should be their ruler. Since they left the land of Egypt and its galling stripes, till then, the only living God had been their king and governor, and Samuel Old, the last of Israel's judges, when he brought the man they chose to be their future king, and said, Behold the ruler of your choice, told them of loving mercies they for years had from the great Jehovah's hand received and mourned in sorrowing tones that God their judge should be by them rejected. And they cried, A king! Give us a king, for thou art old, be, and in those ways thou all thy life hast walked. Walk not thy sons, lucre their idol is, and judgment is perverted by the bribes. They take to stifle justice, give us, then, a king to judge us. Other nations boast. Of such a chief, a king, give us a king! So Saul became the crown of Israel, the first great king of their united tribes. Episode the Second Saul disappoints the expectations of Jehovah, and is visited with the Almighty's displeasure. Brave is the heart that beats with yearning throb toward yes highest hopes, when, wandering in the vale, some snowy alp gleams forth with flashing crown of golden glory in the morning light. Brave is the heart that lovingly expands and longs the far-off splendor to embrace. Thus yearned the heart of Saul, when from his flocks the prophet led him forth, and pointing up toward yes Israel's crown, exclaimed, See what the Lord hath done for thee! But Saul upon the throne grew sorely dazed. Though brave the heart, the brain swam in an ecstasy of wildering light, a helmless boat upon a troubled sea. Men nursed in gloom can rarely brook the sun, and many a life to somber paths inured the sunshine of prosperity hath quenched as dewdrops glistening on the lowly sword like priceless jewels ere the morning breaks, melt into space when light and heat abound, as though they ne'er had been. Relentless fate! This ruthless law the world's wide ways hath fringed with wreckage of a host of peerless lives, and Saul is numbered amongst the broken drift. Saul, though the Lord's anointed, saw not God, but curse of life. Ingratitude prevailed. His faith waxed weak as days of trial came and when, deserted by his teeming hosts at Gilgal, he the prophet's priestly right in faithless haste assumed, the prophet cried, The Lord hath said no son of thine shall reign o'er Israel. See yet, heedless of the voice of warning which a patient God vouchsafed, with disobedience lurking in his heart, he strove to shield the king of Amalek, he whom the Lord commanded him to kill, seizing his flocks and herds for selfish gain beneath the garb of sacrificial faith since so distasteful to the Lord that Saul sat in the dark displeasure of his God. D. And out from this displeasure, like the dawn from dusky night, the youthful David sprang, the Lord's anointed, yeah, the Lord's beloved, sweet bard of Bethlehem, whose harp divine, tuned to the throbbings of a guileless heart, soothed the dark spirit of the sinful king, and woke his life to light and hope again, E. But ah! The sling and stone his envy roused, and envy hate begot. Tis ever so, the honest fealty of a noble soul to all that's brave, and true, and good in life, will meet malicious hindrance. So the king this brave young bard and warrior of the Lord in ruthless persecution sought to kill. Twice, 
with a true nobility of heart which to the noble heart alone belongs, the slayer of Goliath stayed his hand when Saul lay at his mercy. Take thy life. Thou art the Lord's anointed, sinful though, and faithless to the truth as shifting sand. Thus David spake, and went his weary way, an exile from the land he loved so well. So Saul had steeled his heart and set his face against the living God, and thus he lay beneath the great Jehovah's awful ban. Episode the Third Saul, deserted by the Almighty, consults the witch of Ender, and his fall is foretold by the spirit of the dead prophet. As o'er the earth a darkling cloud appears, and grows in blackness till the scathing shaft comes forth with swelling thunder, so the cloud, black unto bursting with the wrath divine, hung o'er the head of Israel's erring king. The light of heavenly faith from him was gone, and life was full of dreary, dark despair. Outstretched along the plains of Shunem lay the army of the heathen Philistines, F, a countless horde, at whose relentless head Achish, the king of Gath, with stern acclaim breathed war against the Israelitish host. Heedless of help from God, the wretched Saul had called his tribes together, and they swarmed along the plains of Gilboa, whence they saw the mighty army of their heathen foe lie like a drowsy panther in its lair with limbs all wakeful for the hungry leap. Inquire me of the Lord! The king had said, communing with the doubtings of his heart. But answer came not. Dreams were dumb and dark, unfathomed mysteries. No Urim spake, and prophets wore the silence of the grave. So Saul, the king, disheartened and disguised, went forth at night. Gee, the rival armies lay sleeping beneath the darksome dome of heaven, and all was still, save when the ghostly wind swept o'er the plains with melancholy moan. That night the shadowy shape of one long dead stood face to face with Saul, in lonely cave, the witch of Enda's haunt. Ah, me, the fall! To degradation deep that man hath slid who gains the Lord in stiff-necked folly strives choosing the path of cabalistic wiles, the dark and turbid garniture of toads, and filters rank of necromantic knaves, who spurns the hand which, by the light of heaven, points clear and straight along the spacious road which angel feet have trod. Ah, me, the fall! And sad the fate of him who shuns the truth, who, like the lonely Saul, eschews the light and leagues with darkness, listening for the voice of angels in abodes where devils dwell. So the dead prophet and the erring king, by heaven's own will, not by the witch's craft, confront each other in the dark retreat. The dreamy shadow speaks. Wherefore? It saith. Dost thou disquiet me? H and from the earth came the sepulchral tones, which, floating up, joined the weird meanings of the hollow wind, and swept in ghostly cadences away like exiled souls in pain. And Saul replied, I'm sore distressed, alas! The living God averts his face and answers me no more. What? And the pleading voice, in trembling tones that might have won a stony heart to tears, asks of the shadowy shape, What shall I do? and hollow voices seemed to echo back the anguish-freighted words. What shall I do? T'was hell's own mockery. The blistering heat, like burning blast, hot and invisible, that scorched the heart of Saul, was but the breath of Satan, gloating o'er the moral death of him who, chosen of Jehovah, lay a victim to those foul satanic wiles which the sworn enemy of God had planned in inmost hate. I cannot scale the height of him gains to whom eternal enmity. I've sworn, it seemed to say, but soothing thought. Deep in the hearts of mortals he hath named, 
to do his bidding will I thrust my darts. And through their wounds as his ambassadors, the spirit brews of him who sent them, thus. And then again, as though his breaking heart were cleft with red-hot blade, the voice of Saul is heard in mortal anguish breathing out the soul-subduing tones. What shall I do? Dead silence intervenes, and then again the spirit of the prophet slowly speaks. Tomorrow thou and thine, it faintly said, shalt be with me and Israel's mighty host. Shall be the captives of the heathen foe. The fateful answer smites the listener low, and utter darkness falls upon his life. Episode the Fourth Battle of Gilboa and the Death of Saul The morrow came, the bloody fray began. The sun shone fierce and hot upon the scene. Lashed into fury like a raging sea the wrestling multitude for vantage strove with deadly chivalry. On Gilboa's mount the king looked forth and watched the sanguine strife, clothed in the golden panoply of war. Upon his brow the stately monarch wore the crown of all the tribes of Israel, a fire with jewels flashing in the sun in bitter mockery of his trampled heart. Noble and mean, yet with a sorrowing soul, anxious his gaze, for in the sweltering surge three sons of Saul were battling with the rest, his firstborn, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, idols of his life. Around him like a hurricane of hail the pinion shafts with aim unerring sped, bearing dark death upon their feathery wings. The clashing sword its dismal carnage made as foam at foe, and flashing sparks outflew as blade crossed blade with murderous intent. The outcry rose. They fly! They fly! The king looked down upon the fray with trembling heart. The bloody stream along the valley ran, and chariots swept like eagles on the wind on deathly mission borne. The conflict fierce waxed fiercer, fiercer still. The rain of gore wetted the sodden plain, and arrows flew thicker and faster through the darkening air. The barbed spear, flung forth with stalwart arm, sped like a whirlwind on its flight of death. Along the ranks the warriors' clarion call inspired to valorous life the struggling hosts, and shouts of victory from contending hordes blended with sorrowing moans of dying men. Thy sons, O king! A breathless herald cried, fresh from the carnage, bowing low his head, where Saul, heart-weary, watched the dreadful strife on Gilboa's height. Thy sons, O mighty king! The herald cried, and sank upon the ground by haste exhausted. Saul, with fitful start, appraised the prostrate messenger. My sons! What of them? Speak! He gasped, with startled look. Dead? moaned the herald, and an echo came, as though deep down in some sepulchral vault the word was spoken. From the heart of Saul that mournful echo came, so sad and low. Dead? Dead? Ah, woe is me! He sadly sighed. My sons, my best beloved, Woe! Woe, alas! And as he spake, e'en while his head, gold-crowned, bent low in pain beneath the crushing blow, an arrow from the foe his armor smote, and pierced his breast, already rent with grief. Then stepped with hurried tread a servant forth, and plucked the arrow from its cruel feast, rending his robe to stanch the purple stream. Heed not the wound! exclaimed the king. Too late! Where heaven smites, men's blows are light indeed. Then bending o'er his breast his kingly head he wept aloud. Rejected of the Lord, my sons among the slain, my valorous host, in bondage of the heathen, let me die. So sobbed the king, as down the bloody plain the chariots of the foe came thundering on, 
and horsemen cleft the air in Hadere, a mighty stream of chivalry and life. The Israelites had fled, and at their heels the roaring tumult followed like a storm that rolls from world to world. And through the blast of warfare came a weak and wailing voice moaning in utter anguish. Let me die! T'was Saul the anointed, Israel's fallen king, crushed neath the hand of an offended god. Lo! cried the king, and raised his tearful eyes. The Philistines are near, pierce thou my breast. And turning round, his kingly breast he bared, bidding his armor-bearer thrust his sword hilt deep into his heart. Better to die, by friendly hand, he cried, than o oh my death, to yonder hated victors. Quick! Thy sword! Thrust deep and quickly! But the faltering hand that held the sword fell nerveless. Mighty king! I dare not! Spake the trembling armorer. Then by my own I die! Exclaimed the king. And as he spake he poised the glittering blade point upward from the earth, and moaning fell upon the thirsty steel. The ruddy gush came spurting through the armor that he wore, and steamed in misty vapor to the sky in voiceless testimony to the truth of words once spoken by the living God. Aghast the faithful armor-bearer stood. O mighty king! I die with thee! he said, and falling on his sword the blood of both commingled, as from ghastly wounds it ran in trickling streamlets down Mount Goboa's side. Ay, as ebbs and flows the sea with troubled throb twixt shore and shore, or as the thistle-down halts in the eddies of the summer wind in trembling doubt, so do the flickering souls of dying men float fearingly between the earth and unseen worlds that lie beyond. So hung the life of Saul, whose bitter cup, still at his lips, contained its bitterest dregs. Prostrate he lay, by bloody sword transfixed, a corpse's pillow, arms extended out, and body bent in agony of pain, the flame of life still fluttering at his heart a waning lamp. He heard the tumult swell. Bondage was worse than death. They come! They come! He moaned. Stand ye upon my breast, he said to one, a stranger, lingering near the spot, and force the gurgling stream back on my heart, to quench the life within me. Quick! They come! The stranger did the cruel bidding. Jay, hark! The king! The foemen cry, and fiercely rushed upon the royal captive, who, till then, had lain by them unseen. But while the shout swept like a storm along the swelling ranks the soul of Saul went drifting through the dark, like some fair ship with sails and cordage rent, out from the stormy trials of his life, to tempt the terrors of an unknown sea. And then the cry of lamentation rose in Israel, and the Hebrew maidens hung their speechless harps upon the willow branch, and mourned the loved and lost unceasingly. A. Nevertheless the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. 1 Samuel 8 and 9 19, 20, 24. B. And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes, and perverted judgment. 1 Samuel 8, 1, 2. C. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? 
Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God which he commanded thee, and thy kingdom shall not continue. 1 Samuel 13, 10, 14. D. And Samuel said, The Lord sent thee, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? And Saul said unto Samuel, The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee. 1 Samuel 15, 18, 23 E. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp, and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed, and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. 1 Samuel 16, 23 F. And the Philistines gathered themselves together, and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. 1 Samuel 28, 4 G. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Ender. And Saul disguised himself, and came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring him up whom I shall name of thee. 1 Samuel 28, 7, 8. H. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me, to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God is departed from me, and answereth me no more. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Because thou obeyedst not the voice of the Lord, nor executedst not his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me, and the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth. 1 Samuel 28, 15, 20. I and the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hid him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through. But his armor-bearer would not, therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword, and died with him. 1 Samuel 31, 3, 5. J. And David said unto the young man, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And he said unto me, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole within me. So I stood upon him, and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live, after that he was fallen. Second Samuel I, 5, 10 Palm Sunday in Wales Flowering Sunday Prize Poem Wrexham National Estedvad, 1876 Fifteen competed for the prize of five pounds, and a silver medal for the best English poem, never before published, 
upon any distinctively Welsh subject. Mr. Osborne Morgan, M.P., Mr. Trevor Parkins, and the Rev. L. L. Thomas adjudicated. The latter gave the award. Out by the hedgerows, along by the steep, through the meadows, away and away, where the daisies, like stars, through the green grass peep, and the snowdrops and violets, waking from sleep, look forth at the dawning day. Down by the brooklet, by murmuring rills, by rivers that glide along, where the lark in the heavens melodiously trills, and the air the wild blossom with perfume fills, the shimmering leaves among. Through the still valley, along by the pool, where the daffodil's bosom of gold so shyly expands to the breezes cool as they murmur, like children coming from school, in whisperings over the wold. In the dark coppice, where fairies dwell, where the wren and the red breasts build, along the green lanes, through dingle and dell, o'er bracken and brake, and moss-covered fell, where the primrose's pathways gild. Hither and thither the tiny feet of children gaily sped, in the cool gray dawn of the morning sweet, plucking wild flowers, and offering meat to garnish the graves of the dead. Out from the beaten pathway, quaint and white, the village church, a crumbling pile, is seen. It stands in solitude midst mounds of green like ancient dame in moss-grown cloak bedight. The mantling ivy clings around its form, the patient growth of many and many a year as though a gentle hand had placed it there to shield the tottering morsel from the storm. A somber cypress rears its mournful head above the porch, through which, in days gone by, young men and maidens sped so hopefully, that now lie slumbering with the silent dead. The silent dead, that round the olden pile crumbled to dust as though they ne'er had been. Whose graven annals, writ o'er billows green, though voiceless, tell sad stories all the while. And as they speak in speechless eloquence, the waving shadows of the cypress fall in spectral patches on the quaint old wall, nodding in wise and ghostly reticence. In silent sanction at the stories told by each decrepit, wizen-featured stone, that seems to muse, like ancient village crone belast and thought o'er memories strange and old. Outside the stunted boundary, a row of poplars tall, beside whose haughty mien and silky rustlings of whose robes of green the lowly church still humbler seems to grow. A near the LYCH gate in the crumbling wall, a spreading oak, grotesque and ancient, stands, like aged monk extending prayerful hands and silent benediction over all. Twas early morn, the red sun glinted o'er the hazy skyline of the far-off hill. Below, the valley slept so calm and still, a misty sea engirt by golden shore. Out in the dim and dreamy distance rose a spectral range of alp-like scenery, mountain on mountain, far as I could see, their foreheads white and hoar with wintry snows. And as I leaned the low-built wall upon that shut the little churchyard from the road, children and maidens into death's abode, with wild flores laden, wandered one by one. And in their midst, stooping and white with age, rich in their wealth of quaint old village lore, came ancient dames, with faces furrowed o'er, that told of griefs and life's long pilgrimage. The sun is rising now, the poplar tips are touched with liquid light, the gravestones old, and hoary church, are flushed with fringe of gold, as though embraced by angels' hallowed lips. And with the morning sunshine children roam to place wild flowers where the loved ones slept, o'er father, mother, sister, long since swept away by death, with blossoms sweet they come. Silent reminders of abiding love. What tender language from each petal springs. Affection's tribute. Heart's best offerings. Wanderers, surely, from the realms above. 
for heart to heart and life to life, had been the loves of those who were and those who are, till death had severed them, O oh, cruel bar, leaving a dark and unknown stream between. And on that stream, in loving fancy tossed, each faithful heart its floral tribute threw, as though the hope from out the tribute grew to bridge the gulf the one beloved had crossed. Near yonder grave there stands a widowed life, husband and son beneath the gravestone rest, some laurels tell, by tender lip caressed, the changeless love of mother and of wife. And o'er the bright green leaflets as they lie she scatters snowdrops with their waxen leaves, and all the while her troubled bosom heaves in tenderness, with many a sorrowing sigh. Out from the light, to where the cypress shade in mournful darkness falls, a figure crept, and as she knelt, the morning breezes swept a cloud of hair about her drooping head. Her feet were small and slender, bare and white, white as the daisy fringe on which she trod, like shimmering snowdrops in the greening sod, or glowworms glistening in the summer night. And as deep down in gloomy chasms seen by those uplooking, stars and daylight shine, so shone the beauty of her face divine in the dark shadows of the cypress green. Her girlish hands a primrose wreath wove, with fingers deft, and eyes with tears bedimmed. No lovelier face the painter's art e'er limbed, no poet's thought e'er told of sweeter love. Then that young mother's, as, with tender grace, she kissed the chaplet ere she laid it down upon a tiny hillock, earthy brown, of first and only child the resting place. And then the few stray blossoms that were left she kissed and strewed upon the little mound, looked lingering back towards the sacred ground, as from the shade she bore her heart bereft. As gentle ripples, from the side we lave a placid lake, will reach the other side, so, o'er death's river, silent, dark, and wide blossoms may bear the kiss that mother gave. Or if in fervent faith she deemed it so, the thought to joyless lives a pleasure brings, and who shall tell, where doting fondness clings, the loss which hearts bereaved can only know. And who shall doubt that to such love is given, borne upward, clothed in perfume to the sky, the power to reach, in death's great mystery, lost hearts, and add a bliss to those of heaven? Other sad pilgrims came. A mother here a duteous daughter mourns, whose days had been a ceaseless blessing, an oasis green on life's enfevered plain, a brooklet clear. That ran the meadows of glad lives along, till, like a stream that meanders to the sea, in the dark ocean of eternity lost was their source of laughter, light, and song. And yonder, clothed in darksome silence, grieves a loving daughter near a mother's tomb, down by the stunted wall in willow gloom and shadows thrown by somber cypress leaves. And as, in life, the waving kerchief speaks the words of friends departing which the heart is all too full to utter eerie we part forever, so the sorrowing daughter seeks. In thought one recollection more to wave to one long dead, and asks in speechless woe primrose and snowdrop on the mound below to bear love's messages beyond the grave. And in the golden sunshine children come with prattling tongue and winsome, rosy face, like blossoms flowering in a lonely place, and lay their tributes o'er each narrow home, where lies the helpless beacon of their lives in darkness quenched, gone ere their infant thought could realize the loss which death had wrought, the stab the stern destroying angel gives. And o'er each silent grave love's tributes fall, the primrose, cowslip, gentle daffodil, the snowdrop, and the tender daisy, till God's acre sleeps beneath a flowery pall. And now the sun in all its glory came and lit the world up with a light divine, casting fresh beauty o'er each sacred shrine, 
breathing on all things an inspiring flame. As if the God of light had bade it be, in sweet reward for pious rite performed, as if, with human love and fondness charmed, the Lord had smiled with love's benignity. For not to this old churchyard where I stand as audience of the dead, through Flores, confined a nation's heart, a nation's love, combined, make it this sweet observance of the land. In humble cot, in proud patrician halls, the floral festival fills every breast, and o'er the grass, where'er the loved ones rest, the lowly floor with choice exotic falls. And as they fall upon the sacred spot, sacred to every heart that strews them there, they seem to sing in voices low and clear. Though gone forevermore, forgotten not, though nevermore, still evermore, above. Eternal will their deathless spirits reign, no more until above to meet again. Till then send up sweet messages of love. So sang the blossoms with their odorous breath, or so in fancy sang they unto me. No more, yet evermore, eternally, though lost, alas, remembered still in death. Elegy on the late Crochet Bailey Yescue, The Iron King, Prize Poem, Abergavenny Estevad, 1874. The program opened with a competition for the best English elegy on the late Crochet Bailey Yescue, for which a prize of ten pounds was given, and a bardic chair, value five pounds, by Mr. William Lewis. There were twelve competitors, and each composition was confined to a limit of two hundred lines. Sadly the sea, by MYNWY's rugged shore, moans for the dead in many a mournful strain. A voice from hearts bereft cries, Come again. But wavelets whisper softly, Nevermore. The restless winds take up the solemn cry, as though, an age of sorrow in each breath, the words, Oh, come again, could call back death from the far-off, unseen eternity. Our dwellings darken when his life went out. We stand in cold eclipse, foregone the light, which made our cottage homes so warm and bright, and shadows deepen o'er the world without. Come back, come back. Upon the mournful wind these words fall weirdly as they float along, melting the soul to tears, for lo, the song rises from hearts that seek but ne'er will find. Save one more billow on the sea of graves, one joyant voice the fewer in life's throng, one hand the less to help the world along, one hero more amongst earth's departed braves. For who that in life's battlefield could fight as he has fought, whose painless victories transcended war's heroic chivalries, could in his country's heart claim nobler height? None made the niche of glory haply a grace, none made the crown of greatness proudly aware, than he upon whose tomb the silent tear falls slowly down from many a drooping face. Faces whose hard and rugged outlines show life's daily struggle. Oh, how bravely fought! Faces to which the only gladness brought came from the friend who yonder leath low. Let us in mournful retrospect commune o'er what that still cold heart and brain have won. A hymn of life and lispings first begun, ending in harmony's most perfect tune. As comes the sun from out the darkling night, and strikes, as did the patriarch of old, life's barren rocks, which flush with green and gold, and pour out waters glad with living light. So, crowned with blessings, in the far-off days, like Midas, MYNWY's monarch touched the earth, wrought golden plenty where once reigned a dearth, and raised an empire he alone could raise. No service his, of slavery, to bind with tyrant fancy vassals to his will. All hearts beat quick with sympathetic thrill for one who loved the humblest of their kind. His kingdom rang with fealty from the free, 
such blessed faith as faith itself ensures. His reign alone that sway which error secures a subject's true and trustful sympathy. So love men's love begot in bounteous flow. It blossomed round his path as flowers bloom, filling his life with such a rare perfume of heart's devotion kings can seldom know. His mastermind, with almost boundless reach, planned work so vast that mankind, wondering still, could scarcely compass his gigantic will which grasped great things as ocean clasps the beach. His home of homes was where the cyclops forged their bolts, as though for Jove to hold his own, his fondest study where, through ages grown, the silent or as old Cambria's mountains gorged. Mammoth machines that, with incessant whirl, rolled onward ever on their ponderous way, gigantic marvels, deafening in their play, and swift, industrious, never-ending swirl. All these he loved, as men alone can love the things that win their love. To him they shone instinct with living beauty all their own, touched with a light divine as from above. For them, and with them, toiled he day by day in true companionship. They were his friends, bound by the tie whose influence never ends, by faithful bonds which never pass away. And as the sunflower looks towards the light all through the livelong day, so did his heart and air from this bond of love play recreant part but every moment beat that heart aright. A heart so large and true, true to the core, so spacious that the great might enter in, yet none too poor its sympathy to win, and every throb a pleasure at their door. And so, through all the toilful hours of thought, he reared a worldwide pinnacle of fame, whose summit reached, his heart was still the same, undazed by splendors which his hand had wrought. Long stood he on the topmost peak of praise from tongues of men, as mountains tipped with snow stand with their lofty foreheads all aglow, lit up with beauty by the sun's bright rays. His life was climaxed by a kinglier dower than even kings themselves can hope to reach. No grander, prouder lesson can we teach than win great things by self-inherent power. Brighter examples manhood cannot show than with true hand, brave heart, and sleepless mind to build up name and fortune midst their kind from grains and drops as worlds and oceans grow. So, in the rare meridian of his time, in pride of conscious strength, he stood alone, a king of kings upon his iron throne, wrought out from humble step to height sublime. As shadows lengthen in the setting sun, so spread the stature of his later life, which, like Colossus, o'er earth's busy strife, towered grandly till that life's last sand was run. And so he passed away, as meteors die, leaving a trail of splendor here on earth to mark the road he took in virtuous worth and sterling truth, and rare integrity. These are the living landmarks he has left, bright jewels in his earthly sojourn set, whose brilliance seen, those looking ne'er forgot, a glorious heritage for friends bereft. Such gems as those who mourn may still adore, whose glistening rays men's footsteps lead aright through life's dark way, like glowworms in the night, or angel glintings from the eternal shore. As round decaying flowers perfume clings in silent tribute to the blossoms dead, so memory, brooding o'er his spirit fled, not but the sweetest recollection brings. Elegies Nash von Edwards von of Riela Died September 18, 1868 A. I. Let bard on battlefield, in sounding verse, proclaim to distant time the warrior deed that makes a hero whose triumphal hearse rolls grave ward o'er a thousand hearts that bleed in widowed agony. Let golden lyre of regal court engaged in worldly strife clothe princely foibles with poetic fire, and crown with fame a king's ignoble life.
Let chroniclers of camp and court proclaim a warrior's greatness and a monarch's fame. Be mine with verse the tomb of one to grace whose nobler deeds deserve a nobler place. 2. The lofty fane that cleaves the glowing sky and heavenward points with golden fingertip, structure whence flows the sacred harmony of prayer and praise from Christian heart and lip, the ranging corridors where, bless the task, tis ours to soothe the fever and the pain of wounded natures, who, despairing, ask for healing touch that makes them whole again. These are the monuments that proudly stand on cornerstones, fruit of his princely hand, homes for the poor, wounds stricken to the sod, and altars for the worship of his God. 3. The blazing meteor glares along the sky, the thunder shakes the mountain with its roar, but meteors for a moment live, then die, the thunder peals, and then is heard no more. The most refreshing rains in silence fall, the most entrancing tones are sweet and low, the greatest, mightiest truths, are simplest all, life's dearest light comes forth in voiceless flow, e'en so his heart and hand were ever found flinging in mute beneficence around the germs of truth and charity combined to heal the heart and purify the mind. A. The life of Mr. Vaughan was one daily round of charitable deeds, in furtherance of religion and social amelioration. His munificent donation to the Swansea Hospital, offered conditionally, led to the enlarged foundation of that noble institution, which stands a silent tribute to his memory. This elegy was written at the request of the late Mr. John Williams, proprietor of the Cambrian, Swansea, who, in the letter requesting me to write the verses, said, Such noble qualities as Mr. Vaughan possessed deserve everything good which human tongue can say of them. Monody. On the death of Mrs. Nicholcarn. A. Down the long vista of historic years I look, and through the dusky haze descry funereal pomp and royal pageantry, gracing the tombs of queens and kings and peers. I see on marble monuments deep-hewn the name and fame of mighty and of great, who lie in granite effigy and state, waiting the summons to the last tribune. But months the hero-host that shrouded sleep neath purple banner and engraven stone, death hath not numbered one among his own more regal-souled than she for whom we weep. Though a right royal lineage she could claim, proudly descended from a Cambrian king, she was content to let her virtues bring something more noble than a royal name. Hers was no sceptred life in queenly state, yet queen she was, in all that makes a queen. No deeds heroic marked her life serene, yet heroine she in all that makes us great. Through all the phases of a blameless life she lingered round the threshold of the poor, where brighter scenes less noble minds allure, hers was the joy to move midst martyr strife. To watch where hearts, by poverty overcome, lay weak and wailing, and to point above, with words of hope, of comfort, and of love, till brighter, happier, grew each cottage home. And wine and oil fell plenteous from her hand, to cheer the wounded on life's weary way, while, for the human wrecks that round her lay, her beacon light beamed o'er the darkling strand. Hers was a life of love, then, of deep griefs, will rear a monument unto her name, more leal and lasting than the chiseled fame of mighty monarchs or heroic chiefs. And see, the virtues of the parent stem break forth and blossom o'er the branching tree. Long may such fair, such bright fruition be, of those bereaved their proudest diadem. With sheltering arms, with hearts forever green, by love united, may they still unite, so shall they gladden still the sainted sight of one who is not, but who once has been. A. Mrs. Carn, relict of the late Revar, 
Nicolcarn of Dimlands Castle and mother of R. C. N. Carn Esq. Nash Manor and of J. W. N. Carn Esq. Dimlands and St. Donuts Castles died November 28, 1866, at Dimlands in the 94th year of her age. Deceased could claim a royal Welsh lineage, being the 34th in unbroken descent from Wyanwyar, King of Gwent and Dyfed. Her long life was distinguished by unostentatious acts of charity and good works. Elegiac stanzas on the death of Mrs. Pasco S. T. Ledger Grenfell, Maysteg House, Swansea. Died January 8, 1868. This world heroic souls can little spare that battle bravely with life's every ill. When days are dark that saintly smiles can wear, and all around with heavenly glory fill. This world can little spare the Christian heart that holds with tearful faith the hand of God with never-yielding grasp, and takes full part in works divine on earth's degenerate sod. This world can little spare the gentle voice that woos the sinful from the dreamy road of human frailties, making hearts rejoice, relieving souls of many a bitter load. This world can little spare the bounteous hand that plenty plants where one oft grew before, raising the latchettas with angel wand, to cheer the darksome cottage of the poor. Virtues like these the world can little spare that fleck life's road like snowdrops in the spring, making it beautiful, and virtue rare, silent and heedless of the bliss they bring. But if the world should weep, how must they mourn for whom her goodness bloomed a thousandfold more sweet and tender love? E'en as the dawn crowns all it looks on with a fringe of gold. So did affection gird in rosy might the home which by her presence was adorned, where came an aching void, for lo, their light was quenched by death, and in the tomb inned. Not quenched. Ah, no! For heaven's eternal gates flew open, and in robes which angels were her sainted spirit entered, and it waits for those that were beloved to join it there. In dreams. I, when they carried away my darling to a kingdom beyond the sky, I knew what the angels intended, so I stifled the tear and the sigh, but I prayed she might send me a message of love from the realms of the blessed as to me a whole life of repining was the cost of her heaven of rest. 2. Yes, I prayed she might send me a message, one word from her mansion of bliss, one ray from her features angelic, from her sweet lips the saintliest kiss, and I question the wind, as it wanders as though from the regions above, but it whispers in sadness, and brings me from the absent no message of love. 3. At night I grow weary with watching the stars, as I sadly surmise which of all those bright jewels resplendent borrow light from my lost one's eyes, then I sleep, and a vision approaches, and again all my own she would seem, but on waking my love has departed, and my heart aches to find it a dream. 4. Oh, I prayed she might send me a message, but not the sweet missive will bring, the breath of the morning, the sunlight, the carol of birds on the wing, come to gladden my heart with their gladness but joyless and tuneless each seems, and the only sad joy that is left me is to live with my dearest in dreams. Munkoff Enwil. A. The above words, wrought in imperishable flowers, were placed on the coffin of the late Mr. John Johns, of Delocothy, at the time of his interment at Kyle, by his youngest daughter, to whom the following elegiac stanzas are respectfully inscribed. I. Munkoff Enwil. So sings the lorn and lonely nightingale, sighing in somber thicket all day long, weaving its throbbing heartstrings into song for absent mate, with sorrowing unavail. And every warble seems to say, 
alone. While every pause brings musical reply, sad Philomel, each sweet responsive sigh is but the dreamy echo of its own. 2. Munkoff Anwil. So sings the west wind through the darkling eve, and spirit wanderings up and down the wold, each mournful sorrow at its heart untold, sighing in secret, as the angels grieve. Bring back my love! sobs the bereaved wind, and sleeping florets waken at the sound, shedding their dewy tears upon the ground. She seeks, they whisper, who shall never find? 3. Munkoff Anwil. So sings all night the never-resting sea, and stars look down with tender, loving eyes. The air is filled with saddening memories of what was once, but ne'er again may be. Here lie the lost, the ocean seems to moan. I yearn to clasp them to my throbbing heart. In fond embrace, the lost, myself apart. So near, so near, and yet I mourn alone. 4. Munkoff Anwil. As roses, crushed and dead, in silence leave their precious heritage of perfume rare, so the good name our dear departed bear reflects in cheering light on those who grieve, and memory, brooding o'er the love thus left, in tender fancy crowns the dream with tears, till, as the hue that on bright rain appears, peace comes to comfort lonely hearts bereft. A. In loving memory. Elegiac. Tis not with rude, irreverent feet I tread where sacred sorrows lie. But gently raise, in accents meet, my voice in earnest sympathy, in sympathy with one bereaved, who mourns a loss which all deplore, whose grief by hope is unrelieved, for tears bring back the past no more. Tis not in words the wound to heal which tenderest ties, when broken, make, tis not in language to conceal the griefs which snapped affections wake, but sorrows, stinging though they be, in sympathy some sweetness find, which may assuage, though slenderly, the grief that clouds a manly mind. In memoriam. The blameless life of her whose grave I strew with flores of thought deep gathered from the heart of heavenliest things was formed the greater part. No sentiment but love her bosom knew. Her influence, like the sunlight from on high, that flames with splendor every opening flower, stole o'er us silently. Yet, oh, the power! Charming our household world resplendently. And little hearts to our yes, that sweet influence yearned and little voices loved to lisp her name, for when, to them, the world was dark, she came, love bright, and so their lives in beauty burned. In beauty burned with pure and happy glow, their joys were hers. In thought I see her now, love prompted, sitting with a dreamy brow, planning the pleasures she might never know. Hers was the hand that reads so daintily with flores each fisher circumstance had formed, and by its touch, like snows by sunsets warmed, each rigid thought was soft and rosily. Hers was the heart, by noblest impulse moved, that beat with earnest fondness all divine, that filled life's cup of joy with rarest wine, for those who proudly felt they were beloved. But soft. God's edict was, that, from above, laden with anguish, came with cruel blow. Twas heaven's gain, the grief those only know who lost her just as they had learned to love. Ah, me, the cost to be to heaven akin. The harvest ripens round the eternal gate. The pure in soul and saintliest hearted wait. The reaper comes and plucks the nearest in. Ah me, the cost life's fairest flower to be. Petal and spray all elegance and grace. Each blossom beauteous as an angel's face. And yet, alas, the first to drop and die. Ah me, the cost life's tenderest chords to wake. With sweet enchantment breaking up the air. 
To know each tone will call forth many a tear, each tender touch a heart or spirit ache. Ah, me, the cost for human hearts to claim where God before his perfect seal had set, like mortals straying into heaven unlet, we perish gazing on celestial flame. To Clara. Twas a short decade that thou and I walked hand in hand through the world together, when the cruel clouds obscured our sky, and bitter and bleak was life's daily weather. But a brave little heart was thine, and so, though it might have been lighter had fortune willed it, it battled, in boundless faith I know, and just as the sunshine gone to grow the hand of death reached forth, and chilled it. The blow was unkind, but heaven knows best, I felt that my loss was to thee a blessing, for I knew, when I laid thee down to rest, I was giving an angel to angels caressing, thy love to my heart was ever dear, with thy gentle voice and thy brave endeavor. Though briefly we wandered together here, two souls were cemented with smile and tear, that, one on earth, will be one forever. E. H. R. Died November 30, 1867. She came in beauty like the sun, and flushed with hope each heart, and I, as roses redden into life when summer passes by. And like the sun she calmly set, with love's own golden glory crowned, and light whose rays forevermore in emmy will abound. A. R. Died April 21, 1865. In silent grief the blow we'll bear, though gone, with us she'll still abide. Her name a shape of love will wear, in viewless influence by our side. Miscellaneous Poems Venus and Astery A Legend of the Gods A. Ah! Hapless nymph! Doomed for a time to bear the badge which none but fickle lives should wear. How oft the envious tongue creates the dart that cleaves the saintly soul and breaks the heart. How oft the hasty ear full credence gives to words in which no grain of truth survives. Were Juno just, her heart would now delight turning thy dappled wings to waxen white, where jealous Venus and her envious train by falsehood fixed an undeserved stain. A. Astri, one of the most beautiful of Venus's nymphs, and, as Spencer says, Excelling all the crew in courteous usage and unstained hue, is said to have been instructed, on a day, by her mistress to go forth with her companions gathering flowers with which to adorn her forehead. She did so, and being more industrious than the rest, gathered more flowers than any of them. On being praised by Venus, her companions, being envious of her, told the goddess that Astri had been assisted by Cupid, Venus's son, in culling the blossoms. For this supposed offense she was immediately turned by Venus into a butterfly, and her wings, which before were white, were stained with the colors of all the flowers she had gathered. For memory of her pretended crime, though crime none were. Spencer's, Meopotmos, 1576. To a royal mourner. 1864. Twere wise, O queen, to let thy features shine upon thy faithful people once again, as summer comes to light the paths of men so would thy presence round our hearts entwine. It is not meet our queen of queens should stay lifelong and tearful in the somber glade, whither, to hide the wound which heaven made, she shrank, as shrinks the stricken deer away. We do not ask thy heart to let us in with all the freeness of an early day, nor hope to bear thy greatest grief away, as though, with thee, that grief had never been. But as the silent chancel leaves the sun to shine through mellowing windows on the floor, so would we enter thy great heart once more, subdued, in reverence of the sainted one. We wept with thee when throbbed the passing bell, and felt thy great affliction from afar, 
We mourn that such a grief thy life should mar, and love thee more for loving him so well. One pearly thought surrounds that somber time, one golden hope and frames the past regret. We thank our Father thou art with us yet, the more majestic for thy grief sublime. Beautiful Wales There is a little history attached to the following lines. Twenty years ago, my friend, Mr. Arthur J. Morris, at that time an accountant at the Woodcote Ironworks, Aberdare, and subsequently manager at the Plymouth Ironworks, Mirtha Tidfill, but now deceased, asked me to write a song in praise of Wales. I did so, and wrote and sent him the words of Beautiful Wales, a Welsh translation of which was made and forwarded to me by Mr. Daniel Morgan, Daniel A. P. Gwillem, of Abramin, Aberdare. A short time afterwards I received a request from Mr. R. Andrews, of Manchester, whom I never saw and do not know, for permission to set the words to music, which permission I gave, and the song, English version, was published by Robert Cox and Company, London. It has long since been out of print. I found, on receiving some copies of the music, that the tune was merely an adaptation of a well-known dance tune and some years ago I wrote to Mr. Brinley Richards on the subject, who regretted that the words had not been wedded to more suitable music. The matter, however, was lost sight of by myself, and I was under the impression that the song had been forgotten. To my surprise it suddenly cropped up as a great favorite of the Sunday schools, and I have myself heard it sung at school anniversaries to various tunes. It would seem, therefore, that after playing the vagrant for goodness knows how long, it became a reformed character, was taken in hand by school children, and by them adopted as a pet and made a favorite of. Beautiful Wales. I know a land whose sunny shore the sea's wild waves embrace, whose heart is full of mystic lore that flashes from its face, a land where cloud-kissed mountains are, and green and flowery valleys, where poesy lingers like a star, that land is sunny Wales. Wales, the wild, the beautiful, the beautiful, the free. My heart and hand are thine, O land of magic minstrelsy. And in this mystic land of mine what dainty maids there be, whose faces shine with love divine, like sunlight on the sea. The boasted fair of other climes that live in songs and tales will never be more fair to me than those of sunny Wales. Wales, the wild, the beautiful, the beautiful, the free. My heart and hand are thine, O land of magic minstrelsy. Gwalia Degg me WNM lad, I gov draith go flyder gone wide don, as swine or lon o jifron all didi weiss grhwn draith i gwine blon, glad y w lee may manidode ban, a glino gwyr didi eu live, lear aries o nidieth glare, hof walia hilog yw, gwalia wylt, wyt decoff lad, wyt decoff lad, lad ridd. Dy Ido I G Y D W Y F I O Dud Y Swine All Gird Dillet A C Y N Y Lad Jifren All Han Seer Merch Yuko Friday S Y D D A U Gwineboy and T W New Fell Guluni Hall Uchli Pritforth Frosty All Gulleted Pell S Y N B Y W Y N Jerdiar Bid N I S Bin B Y K H Pritforth Akim Na Ray F Y Hulog Dud Gwalia W Y L L T W Y T D Cough Lad W Y T D Cough Lad Lad R I D D. D Y I D O I G Y D W Y F I. O Dud Y Swine Algird Dillet. The Welsh language. My Bardic friend. Caradoc. Of Abergavenny, send me the following in Lynn. 
with a request that I would write an English translation. Unglin I R Ith Jimreg. Ith Anwa Y Berthoniade, Ith Jirain, Ith Gara F Y Anade, Ith G R Y, Ith Berry Heb Bide, Gornwag Ith Groniade. Yoan Daffide I can't. To which was written and forwarded the following reply. On the Welsh language. A language to love, when our tongues in love speak it, a language to hate, when tis spoken by fools, a language to live, when the pure in life seek it, a language to die, when the lying tongue rules, a blessing, when blessings lead men to enjoy it, a curse, when for cursing tis used as a rod, the language of Satan, when devils employ it, when angels indict it, the language of God, a foolish bird, an ostrich o'er the desert wide, with upturned beak and jaunty stride, in stately, self-sufficient pride, one day was gently roaming. When, dreadful sound to ostrich ears, to ostrich mind the worst of fears, our desert champion thinks he hears the dreaded hunter coming. Ill-fated bird. He might have fled, those legs of his would soon have sped that flossy tail, that lofty head far, far away from danger. But fatal error of his race, in sandy bank he hid his face and thought by this to evade the chase of the ostrich-bagging ranger. So he who, like the ostrich vain, is IGN rant, and would so remain, of what folks do, it's very plain in folly's road he's walking. For if in sand you hide your head just to escape that which you dread, and seeing not, say dangers fled, tis worse than childish talking. I'd choose to be a nightingale. Answer to a poem which appeared in a daily paper, with the above title, signed, Mary, Landovery. Gentle Mary, do you know what it is you crave? Listen. As the flowers grow o'er the dismal grave, so, when sweetest sings the bird thou wouldst like to be, when in twilight's hour is heard the magic melody, harshly comes the cruel thorn against the songster's breast, and melting music thus is born of pain and sad unrest, eh, so if like Philomel thou dst sing, and happiness impart, Thy breast must bear the cruel sting that haunts the songster's heart. A. There is a poetic legend, which says that when the nightingale sings the sweetest, it presses its breast against a thorn. True philanthropy. Written on hearing that J. D. Llewellyn, Yeskew, of Penlergare, had refused a public testimonial, the offer of which was evoked by his unbounded charity and unostentatious acts of philanthropy which recognition it was desired to inaugurate in the shape of a statue of himself, placed in front of the Swansea Hospital, an institution which owes so much to his munificent liberality. March 6, 1876 Friend of the poor, for whom thy ceaseless thought is as the sun, that warms the earthy clod into a flush of blossom beauty fraught, waking in hearts by poverty distraught glimpses in life of heaven and of God. And as the sun sends forth his golden beams in silence, all unweeding of their worth, so from thy life and silent beauty streams that heaven-born charity which never seems to know itself, and blushes at its birth. No sculptor's art thy goodness need proclaim, the knowledge lives in hearts that feel its power, a love more lasting than a marbled fame, brooding in silence o'er thy cherished name, as light is worshipped by the voiceless flower. Disraeli. O'er the present proudly striding like Colossus o'er the wave, and a beacon light high-holding, while the tempests loudly rave, laying bare in truthful teaching tree trouse breakers round the bay, that the good old bark of England may in safety sail away, though the tongue of fiercest faction in its folly may deride, still he stands in lofty learning like a giant o'er the tide, 
while the murmuring wavelets passing far beneath his kingly hand, looking upward blindly babble where they cannot understand. When his country's proudest scepter he was called upon to sway, ruled he with a noble purpose that will never pass away, so the future of his striving with its trumpet tongue shall tell how he battled for the Bible, how he loved old England well, how his nature, though not faultless, human nature may not be, bore the never-dying impress of life's truest chivalry, how they wrote upon the marble, where he lay beneath the sod. Faithfully he served his country, truthfully he served his God. Down in the dark. A recollection of the Ferndale Colliery Explosion. November, 1867. Down in the dark, in the blinding dark, away from the sunshine bright above, away from the gaze of those they love, they are lying stony and stark. Down in the dark, deep down in the dark, with the terror of death in each sightless eye, which tells how hard tis to burn and die down, down in the poisonous dark. Up in the light, in the broad noonlight, poor hearts are breaking, hot tears are shed, as, tenderly shrouding each cinder-like head, it is hid from the aching sight. Up in the light, in the soft gaslight of the draperied room, in luxurious guise, in our comfort forgetting who plods and plies far down in eternal night. Up in the light, further up in the light, in the pure clear light of a queenly crown, a widowed monarch is looking down toward yes the dark, with compassion bedight. Up in the light, further up in the light, from the dazzling light of a maker's throne, the angel of pity came down to zone human hearts through that dreadful night. Daisy May A Story of Christmas Died Long Ago Part the First Don't bolt the door, John, said the dame, who sat ensconced in oaken chair, the good man paused, and back he came, silent, and with a troubled air. Tonight tis just a year ago since Daisy left. The mother sighed. Don't blame the child I loved her so, but better had our darling died. The father spake not. Glistening bright a tear stole down the mother's cheek. A year tonight! A year tonight! I sometimes think my heart will break. Tis Christmas Eve, and in that caught the good old couple grieve and yearn for one, though absent, ne'er forgot. Don't bolt the door, she may return. She may return. The midnight chime with mystic music fills the air, and bears the news. Tis Christmas time. In sobbing wavelets everywhere. Part the second. Our village pride was Daisy May, a fairy being, all too good for earthly thought, as bright as day, just blooming into womanhood. The low, sweet music of her voice was like the sound of rippling rills. It bade the listening heart rejoice, and one as with enchanting spells. Her eyes, like violets dipped in dew, the soul enthralled with tender glance, that gave to things a brighter hue, and fringed our lives with new romance. And from her forehead, white as pearl, there hung a cloud of golden hair, whose luster threw around the girl a halo such as angels wear. Ah, me! sighed many a village swain. Her love what bliss would be to win he whom the beauteous prize shall gain will open heaven and enter in. And as she passed with girlish grace she met the glance of every eye, till blushes fluttered o'er her face like roses when the sun goes by. But while in virgin life she walked, while sunlight round her footsteps played, a broad unbridled passion stalked, she loved, and trusting, was betrayed. And in the city, months the gay, far, far from friends who mourned her fate, she flung love's precious pearls away, and woke, but woke, alas, too late. She woke to find herself alone, 
save baby sleeping at her breast, in that vast city all unknown, unloved, unpitied, and unblessed. Unloved by one who swore to love, unpitied by the cruel crowd, unblessed by all save him above, to whom she prayed in grief aloud. In fitful dreams she saw, and oft, that humble cottage by the burn, and heard a voice, so sweet and soft. Don't bolt the door, she may return. She may return. Delicious dream. Then mother loves me still. She sighed. Ah, little knew she of the stream of tears that mother shed and dried. Of weary watches in the night, of aching heart throughout the day, of darkened hours that once were bright, made glad by her now far away. And when, in unforgiving mood, the father urged his tenant stern, how oft that mother tearful stood. Don't bolt the door, she may return. Part the third. Tis Christmas Eve, the midnight chime with mystic music fills the air, and bears the news. Tis Christmas time, in sobbing wavelets everywhere. Without, the weird wind whistles by, clothed as the ground with drifting snow. Within, the yule logs, piled on high, their cheery warmth and comfort throw. And in that cottage by the moor, where father, mother, mourning dwell. The fire is bright, where hearts are sore the chime to them a mournful knell. What's that? the mother faintly said. Methought I heard a weary sigh. The father sadly shook his head. Tis but the wind that wanders by. Again the dame, with drowsy start. It is no dream, I heard a groan. Oh, the misgivings of her heart. Tis but the music's murmuring moan. They little thought, while thus they sighed, that at their threshold, fainting, lay the child for whom they would have died, for whom they prayed both night and day. Twas bitter chill. The snowy fall came drifting slowly through the air, and gently clothed with ghostly pall the wasted form that slumbered there. And all the livelong night she slept, while breaking hearts within grew sore, while father, mother, mourned and wept, she lay in silence at the door. Till, in the morning, all aglow the sun, in looking o'er the hill, like sculptured marble in the snow, saw daisy, stony, stark, and still. Then tenderly, in coffin state, the hapless girl they grave ward bore, and, as they mourned her cruel fate, her tomb with flowers scattered o'er, leaving the broken-hearted child to sleep in peace beneath the sod, and he who first her heart beguiled to cope with conscience and his God. Lines, accompanying a purse given to a friend on his birthday. The purse I send to you, my friend, is empty, but if wishes warm could fill it, t'would be brimming o'er with handfuls of the golden charm. The only wealth I have to give are words which may be worth a thought. Be sure, as you would prosperous live, while earning sixpence spend a groat, your purse will then grow slowly full, a friend in need you'll always find, and comforts, which can only flow from plenty and a peaceful mind. Forsaken. T'was a white water lily I saw that day, with its leaves looking up to the sky, and bearing its breast to the sportive play of the wavelets dancing by. And oh for the music the streamlet made, as it floated in ripples along, round the beautiful blossom it eddied and played with a voice full of silvery song. So all through the summer the lily laughed, and with glances of loving and light drank in fresher beauty with each dainty draught of the water so playful and bright. And is it forever, the flower it sighed, that thy vows of affection will last? Forever and ever, the streamlet replied, and embracing her, hurried past. The summer days vanished, the winter came, ah, where could the lily be? 
The sun still warmed with its golden flame, but the streamlet had gone to the sea. And the blossom that once, with its bosom of white, like a star from the heavens shone, lay frozen and dead. Ah, sorrowful plight! It had died in the dark alone. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming with merry laugh, with a merry laugh and a joyful shout, and the tidings are flung with an iron tongue from a thousand steeples peeling out. Hang up the holly, the mistletoe hang. Bedeck every nook round the old fireside. Make bright every hearth. Let the joy bells clang with a warm-hearted welcome to Christmas tide. Christmas is coming. But some will see by the old fireside a vacant place, and a vision will flit through the festive glee of an absent, a never-returning face, and a voice that was music itself last year will be mournfully missed in the even song, and children will speak, with a gathering tear, of the virtues which now to the dead belong. Christmas is coming. Look back o'er the past. Is there not to forgive? Is there not to forget? Have we seized all the chances of light that were placed in our path? Or in this have we not to regret? Have we fought on life's battleground manfully, true, while success, like a butterfly, flew from our reach? Have we pressed in pursuit of the prize as it flew? Has the past, in its dying, no lesson to teach? Christmas is coming. But who shall say that at Christmas time they again may meet? For graves lie thick in the crowded way, and we elbow death in the open street let folly embitter the festival hour with a tongue that would injure, a heart that would hate. True wisdom is blessed with a nobler dower, in another year it may be too late. Christmas is coming. The wealthy will sit in purple, fine linen, and sumptuous state. Twere well in their plenty they should not forget the poor that stand meek at the outer gate. For who can foreshadow the changes of life? See, yesterday's king is an outcast today. Success comes in time to the strong in the strife, and fortune's a game at which paupers can play. Christmas is coming? The trader will quail over ledgers unsquared, and accounts overdue, and his pen fain would tell all the sorrowful tale which his heart, full of fear, has not courage to do. Had he all that is owing, how happy his heart, how buoyant his footstep, how joyous his face, but his debtors from gold as their life's blood will part, and their hoard lies untouched o'er a brother's disgrace. But Christmas is coming with merry laugh, amid pain, amid pleasure, with joyful shout, and the tidings are flung with an iron tongue from a thousand steeples peeling out. Hang up the holly, the mistletoe hang, bedeck every nook round the old fireside, let us bury our care, let the joy bells clang with a warm-hearted welcome to Christmas tide. Heart links. The mist that rises from the river, evermore, evermore, tells how hearts are born to sever as of yore, as of yore. But the silvery mist returneth sparkling dew and blessed rain, so the loving heart, though distant, comes again, comes again. The stars that shine in brightness o'er us in the sky, in the sky, speak of loved ones gone before us born to die, born to die who, in days of earthly sadness, o'er us watch with tender love, as the starlight falls around us from above, from above. The rose that gives, before it leaves us, fragrance rare, fragrance rare, links of love and absence weaves us sweet to wear, sweet to wear, so true hearts and love united bound by pure affection's chain, though in life or death divided, meet again, meet again. The Oak to the Ivy Twas in my spring of palmy gladness first I met thee, ivy wife, then my brow, untouched by sadness, bloomed with regal foliage life, 
proud my arms hung forth in blessing o'er thy trustful spirit dear, and my heart, neath thy caressing, wore a spring dress all the year. Time wings on, my strength is fleeing, and my leafy beauties too, still thou clingst around my being, changeless, ever true. Churlish autumn hath uncrowned me, still I feel thy fond embrace. Winter's sad throws gloom around me, sweet. Thou smillst up in my face, spring arrives with flowery treasures, summer skips by, sun caressed, yet thou, envying not their pleasures, bloomst upon my rugged breast. Time wings on, my strength is fleeing, and my leafy beauties too, still thou clingst around my being, changeless, ever true. Though my limbs grow old and weary, trembling in the wintry air, and my life be dark and dreary, still I feel that thou art near, stripped of all my blossoms golden, reft of stalwart forest pride, sere and sallow, leafless, olden, yet remain'st thou by my side. Time wings on, my strength is fleeing, and my leafy beauties too, lifelong clings thou round my being, changeless, ever true. Epigram on a Welsh woman's hat. O changeful woman! Constant man! Has been the theme for buried ages. But here's the truth, say, no, who can, ye bards, philosophers, and sages, men by their hats all kinds of shapes. Our own Welsh women change theirs never, tis with their hats as with their loves, where fancy rests the heart approves, and loving once, they love forever. Shadows in the fire. She sat and she gazed in the fire, in the fire with a dreamy look, and she seemed as though she could never tire of reading the fiery book. She saw, midst the embers bright, a figure both manly and fair, blue eyes that shone with a loving light, and showers of nut-brown hair. She saw her own image stand by that form on a sunny day, one kiss of the lip, one grasp of the hand, and her heart was borne away. She saw, through the flickering flame, a beer in a darkened room, and a coffin that bore her idol's name was hurried away to the tomb. She saw, from a distant strand, a missive sent over the main. The letter was writ by a stranger's hand, and she sighed for her lover in vain. So she sat and she gazed in the fire, in the fire, with a dreamy look, and she seemed as though she could never tire of reading the fiery book. The Belfry Old On a New Year's Eve by a belfry old, with a sea of solemn graves around, while the grim gray tower of the village church kept silent ward o'er each grassy mound, with a cloak of ivy about it grown, fringed round, like fur, with a snowy fray, on a New Year's Eve I watched alone the life of the last year ebbing away. Anon there came from the belfry out a strange wild sound as a pleasure and pain, for the birth of the new a jubilant shout, for the death of the old a sad refrain. And the voice went throbbingly through the air, went sobbing and sighing, with laughter blent, all the echoes awakening everywhere, a guest that was welcomed wherever it went. I thought, as the sound of each babbling bell came gushing away from the belfry old, that stories such as the dying tell were up in that belfry being told as the words men mutter in life's last fear seemed to shrink from eternity back to time, so it seemed to me that each echo clear came back from the grave with a lesson sublime. Yet another year, it seemed to say, gone one more year in the battle of life, with its yearnings and gloom for the coming day, its pantings for peace mid the daily strife, clay lips that kissed but a year ago with the fervent warmth of life and love, dear eyes that gladden bright homes below in one short year with the stars above gone one more year, with its masses that prayed for the daily bread that so seldom came, with its lives whom sinning could never degrade, 
till the canker of want brought guilt and shame. Gone one more year, with its noble souls who raised up the weary in hours of need, with its crowds that started for wish for goals, and drooped by the way, broker-hearted indeed. Gone one more year, with its wearisome woes, its pleasures hoped for, never seen, its swallowing friends, its fair-faced foes, its sorrow which happiness might have been, its cant and its cunning, its craft and crime, its loves and its hates, its hopes and fears, its lives that, reaching toward yes heights sublime, fell short of the mark in a sea of tears. Gone one more year, to tell all the rest how wise the old world had gotten of late, how fools still flourish, by wealth caressed, how the noble of mind meet a pauper's fate, how the infidel heart, accursed, defies all hopes of heaven, all fears of hell, how the saintly preach from the book of lies, and scoff at the truths which saviors tell. How the pious who poison the poor man's food in shoddy and shop grow golden and grand. How the rent roll harbors the stolen rude, the emblazoned escutcheon the bloody hand. How women and men to the altar high, and swear to the promise they rarely keep. How vice, a shameless and living lie, gets honors which virtue never can reap. Gone one more year, there is no return. Press onward, still onward, for weal or woe. Beat heart, throb brain, hot eyelids burn. Man's troubles and trials who cares to know. Birth, marriage, and death, death, marriage, and birth, are the treadmill steps of this wheel of strife. Cloak, draft, and a crust, then a hole in the earth, and the struggle for these is the story of life. So sang the bells in the belfry old, or so it seemed to me they sang, and the year died out as the moments rolled, still o'er its beard the joy bells rang. Twas morning an instant, merriment then and the ghastly shroud where the old year lay, how like is the humor of bells and men, became swaddling clothes for the new year's day. Beautiful Barbara, beautiful Barbara, Barbara bright, as bright and as fresh as the dainty dawn, what is it disturbeth her bosom white, as the breeze into billows kisseth the corn? Beautiful Barbara, silent and shy, shy as the dove, as the dove is fond, what a dreaminess lives in her hazel eye as she looketh away through the valley beyond. Through the valley beyond, where the daisies blush, where the woodbines bloom and the rivulets run, through the valley beyond, where, in evening's hush, beautiful Barbara's heart was won. And the maiden Barbara, fair and forlorn, the grass-green meadow looketh along. The morrow was fixed for her wedding morn, and she vieweth in vision the bridal throng. She looketh, and weepeth, and looketh in vain, her heart was trustful. His heart was untrue, and beautiful Barbara mingleth amain her tears with the daisies and the dew. And the harvest moon sat silent and pale, silent and pale o'er the far-off hill, and the sun in the morning flushing the veil saw beautiful Barbara stark and still. Stark and still, with a forehead of white, round which the dewdrop coronal shone, and the sunbeams came with their laughing light, but beautiful Barbara sleepeth on. T'was a trying path for her dainty feet for such dainty feet as hers to tread. So her trampled heart gainst its bars had beat, till it bravely broke and heavenward fled. Song of the Silken Shroud Out in Babylon yonder, by the gaslight's dull red glare, in a stifling room, a living tomb, with never a breath of air, a slender girl is sitting, at her feet a silken cloud, which music makes, while her young heart aches, as she stitches the rustling shroud. And this is the song the glistening silk sings, out in the workroom yonder. Quick! 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 
my lady is waiting to roam. If you wish to die, the need apply. You can die when you reach your home. And while the gaslights flicker and play the life of the sempstress ebbs away in the West End workroom yonder. Out in Babylon yonder, in the blaze of the ballroom gay, my lady sits, while round her flits a skeleton slender and gray. And the ghastly specter standeth by the side of my lady fair so mournfully bland, and with bony hand it plays with her costume rare. And this is the song the ghostly guest sings, out in the ballroom yonder. Look, 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 sit ye scornful and proud, your bodice a hearse, every stitch a curse, your skirt a silken shroud. For while the gaslights flickered and played the life of the sempstress ebbed away in the West End workroom yonder. A University for Wales. Written in 1867 and inscribed to those who were then engaged in the noble and patriotic work of providing one. In the cause of education let us raise the standard high, and in tones of exultation. Upward, onward, be the cry. Let us rear this fane of learning, beauteous temple of the mind, where true hearts, for knowledge yearning, may the priceless jewel find. In the cause of education let the glorious altar stand, as a bulwark of the nation, as a blessing in the land. Let an unsectarian fabric grow in grandeur from the sod, as a crown upon our manhood, as a monument to God. In the cause of education let the wealth which wisdom owns be outscattered open-handed to uprear this throne of thrones, and like bread upon the waters, hearts that give from store of gold will, and never-dying blessings, richly reap a thousandfold. In the cause of education, in the search for simple truth, in the proud confederation which ennobles striving youth, let each heart's best pulses quicken, patriotic souls upleap, till, mind freighted, sails the fabric like an ark upon the deep. Griefs untold. In silence blooms the summer rose, with damask cheek and odorous breath, and ne'er a ruddy leaf that blows whispers of canker or of death. But sweetly smiles the lovely flower all through the sunshine warm and gay, and tells not of the cankered hour that eats its in most heart away. In gladness rolls the river bright down through the meadow grassy green, with ripples full of laughing light that wake with joy the sunny scene. From morn till morn, with cheery tread, the stream walks on with ne'er a sigh, nor tells of pebbles hard and dead that deep below the surface lie. I will. It is Christmas Eve, and the dance is o'er. Good night, good night all round, and the red light streams through the open door, like a sprite on the snowy ground and faces peer down the glowing dell from the cottage warm and bright, to see the last of the village bell who stands in the pale moonlight, and waving her hand with a last farewell, is lost from their yearning sight. But not alone is that maiden fair of the pearl-white face and the golden hair. Thou knowest I love thee, Blanche, he said, who walked by the maiden's side, and her cheeks flushed up with a sweeter red when he asked her to be his bride. Though humble, their love was pure as light, as pure as the snow they trod, and the peal from the belfry woke the night like a voice from the throne of God, or plaudits of angels glad with delight at their Maker's approving nod. Through a manly bosom it sent a thrill, for it came with the bells did the girls. I will. Dawn and death. The sobbing winds of winter lingered sadly round the door, then ran in mystic meanings through the dark across the moor. The window panes were streaming with the tears which heaven wept, and a mother sat a dreaming o'er an infant as it slept. Its little hands were folded, and its little eyes of blue were clothed in alabaster with the azure peeping through. Its face, so still and star-like, was as white as maiden snow. 
and it breathed in faintest ripples, as the wavelets come and go. The morn in golden beauty through the lattice gaily peeped, but muffled was the window of the room where darlings slept. The mother's heart was breaking into tears like summer cloud, for a starry face was circled with a little lily shroud, and a soul from sunny features like a beam of light had fled, before her, like a snowdrop, her miracle lay dead. Ah, twas cruel thus to chasten, though her loss was darling's gain, and her heart would rifle heaven could she clasp her babe again. Castles in the air. Autumn's sun was brightly blazing like a suit of golden mail. Flocks along the mead were grazing, lambkins frolicked through the vale. Brooklets gossiped o'er their beauty, leaves came down in whispering showers, and the vine trees, lush and fruity, climbed and clung in amrouse bowers. Beauty, gladness, floated round me everywhere, still in sadness built I castles in the air, in the soft and dreamy air. Far above me, like a spirit, rose an alp in proud array, and my heart so yearned to near it as I in the valley lay. Ah, thought I, yon summit seemeth like a throne, so pure and bright. Lo, how grandly great it gleameth, crowned with everlasting light. Then I started from the valley calm and fair, hopeful-hearted, toward yes the castle in the air, high up in the dreamy air. Many a tortuous path and winding rid my soul and bow through, many a thorn of bitter finding choked my way with perils new, upward still, footsore and bleeding, on with lonesome heart I pressed, and I heard the chimes receding in the vale so calm and blessed. Still I wandered up the pathway rough and drear, till I pondered by the castle in the air, like a spirit in the air. I had reached the lofty glory, I had gained the alpine peak, lowly lay the world before me, yet my heart was like to break. Where I stood twas cold and dreary, crowned with white and glistening snow. Ah, I sighed with heart a-weary. Distance lent the golden glow. Thus fame ever woos men from earth's valleys fair, oft to shiver near life's castles in the air, in the far-off wintry air. The withered rose. I had a silver chalice once of exquisite design. In shape twas like the human heart this little vase of mine. I plucked a rose and placed the floor within the shiny cup, and drank the incense hour by hour the rosebud offered up. And as it opened leaf by leaf its beauties spreading wide, I saw no blossom such as mine in all the world beside. The sunlight came, but came in vain, and day succeeded day, but leaf by leaf my rosebud drooped, until it passed away. And thus in life we look for love from other loves apart a gift from heavenly hand above, and plant it near the heart. But death comes forth with chilly touch, the blossom droops and dies, and breaking hearts are filled alone with fragrant memories. Wrecks of Life I sat upon the shingly beach one sunny summer day, a-listening to the mystic speech of a million waves at play. And as I watched the flowing flood I saw a little child, who near a mimic fabric stood of shells his hands had piled. And as he turned to go away, he said, with look of sorrow. Build up I cannot more today. I'll come again tomorrow. The morrow came, he thither hide, looked for his castle gay, but while he'd slept the cruel tide had washed it all away. And thus in life we gaily build shell castles in the air, our hopes the fairy fabrics gild with colors bright and rare. But the dark flood of human strife rolls onward while we sleep, and o'er the wrecks, where waves ran rife, we waken but to weep. Eleanor, died on her wedding day. Scarce nineteen summers had breathed their bloom, had breathed their bloom on her dainty cheek, 
when they bore her away to the voiceless tomb with hearts so full they were like to break. And down in the churchyard old and green, in the churchyard green where the yew tree waves, a dark little mound of earth is seen, one billow more to the sea of graves. Dear heart, how sad, in the gorgeous light, in the gorgeous light of a purple dawn, with life so hopeful of pure delight, away from the world to be rudely torn, to be rudely torn in the tender hour, in the tender hour when her heart was young, while the virgin dew on the opening flower with a trembling joy like a jewel hung. Ere the budding soul, so sweetly shy, had opened its core to the coming kiss of an earthly love that was born to die ere it filled her heart with its hallowed bliss. So down in the churchyard old and green, in the churchyard green where the yew tree waves, a dark little mound of earth is seen, one billow more to the sea of graves. Scarce nineteen summers had breathed their bloom, had breathed their bloom on her dainty cheek, and they bore her away to the voiceless tomb with hearts so full they were like to break, with hearts so full even this belief dispelled not a tear from their aching eyes, though they saw their beloved through clouds of grief an angel beyond in the golden skies. New Year's Bells Hearest thou that peal a telling night noon stories to the sky? Hark! Each wave of sound comes welling like a scolded angel's cry, and the voice the belfry flingeth sobbing from its brazen breast, like a god in trouble singeth, waking half the world from rest. Now it wails in murmuring sadness, as a child that words unkind. Now it comes with merry gladness, floating weirdly on the wind. Ah! Tis sad, yet sprightly-hearted, song of birth and gloomy beer. Death dirge for the days departed, carol for the coming year. Is it that the voice reminds thee of the wasted moments past? Saith it that the new year finds thee where it left thee last? Doth the merry music taunt thee, how the palace love had reared mocks with echoes now, that haunt thee where thou dreamed est they would have cheered? Moan the bells with thee in sorrow o'er a little mound of green, rising up from graveyard fro bleakly blank upon the scene? Doth the tender language, stealing o'er the soul with soothing swell, waken thoughts from sweet concealing, joyous tale for chimes to tell, reviving dainty hours of gladness, fresh as daisies in the spring, as birds in summer, void of sadness, songs, heart buried, wake and sing? Doth the sea of music bear thee back again upon the past, to show thee that the new year finds thee happier than the last? Doth it tell of plans laid glowing on the anvil of thy heart? Times thou'st raised thy hand for throwing in life's battle many a dart. How each plant unstricken lingered till the moldful heat was gone. How each dart was faintly fingered, resting in the end unthrown. Of the faith thou pawned for fancies, substance for a fateful beam. Doth it taunt with bartered chances, sterling strength for drowsy dream? Doth it brand the apathetic? Twit with lost days many a one. Doth it chant in words emphatic? Gone for I, forever gone. Is it that the voice reminds thee of the wasted moments past? Saith it that the new year finds thee wiser than the last? Tis not so, and still, as ever, time's a jewel in its loss, but possessed in plenty, never held as aught but worthless dross. Like lost truant boys, we linger whimpering in life's mazy wood, heedless of the silent finger ever pointing for our good, each, in plodding darkness groping. Clothes his day in dreamy night, stead of boldly climbing, hoping, up the steeps towards the light, where, as metal plucks the lightning flashing from the lofty sky, sturdy purpose, ever heightening, grasps an immortality. Let not future peals remind thee, then, of wasted moments past. 
Let not future new years find thee where each left thee last. The Vase and the Weed, a plea for the Bible. I had a vase of classic beauty, rare and richly carved design. Memento of an ancient splendor was this peerless vase of mine. A master hand of old had graved it, hand from many a year and earned, and out from every line and tracing germs of genuine genius yearned. I took the gem and proudly placed it on a pillar amongst the flowers, and watched how radiance round it hovered, bathed with sunlight and with showers. A little weed-like plant grew near it, and anon crept o'er its face, until at length, with stealth insidious, it quite obscured its classic grace, and where was once a noble picture of the beauteous and the true, there hung a mass of straggling herbage flecked with blooms of sickly hue. The summer passed, the plant had flourished, as every weed in summer will, when winter came and struck the straggler to the heart with bitter chill. It died, the winds of March played round it, laughing at its wretched plight, then blew it from its slender holding, like a feather out of sight. But still in undimmed freshness standing, reared the vase its classic face, rare in its old, eternal beauty, majestic in its pride of place. A riddle. A riddle of riddles. Who'll give it a name? A portrait of God in a worm-eaten frame. A mount in his own eye, in others a mite, the footboy of wrong, and the headsman of right. A vaunter of virtue, yet dallies with vice, from the cope to the basement bought up at a price. A vein in his friendship, in folly a rock, in custom a timepiece, in manners a mock, a fib under fashion, a fool under form, in charity chilly, in wealth making warm, in hatred satanic, a lambkin in love, a hawk in religion with coo of a dove, a riddle unraveled, a story untold, a worm deemed an idol if covered, with gold, a dog in a gutter, a god on a throne, in slander electric, in justice a drone, a parrot in promise, and frail as a shade, a hooded immortal in life's masquerade, a sham lacquered bauble, a bubble, a breath, a bolster in lifetime, a coward in death, to a fly, burned by a gaslight, per prostrate speck, thou round and round with wildering limp dost come and go, thy tale to me, devoid of sound, bears the mute majesty of woe, in bounding pride of reverie, seared by the cruel, burning blast, thy fall instructive is to me as fall of states and empires vast. No sounding theme from lips of fire, no marvel of the immortal quill, can teach a moral, sterner, higher than thou, so helpless and so still. Reft as thou art by blistering burn, blinded and shorn, poor stricken fly, the wise may stoop and lessons learn from thy unmeasured agony. It tells how maid, in guileless youth, Flies toward yes her love with trusting wing, bruises her heart gainst broken truth, and falls, like thee, a crippled thing. How man in bacchanalian sphere soars to the heat of pleasure's sun, then, by gradations dark and drear, sinks low as thee, poor wingless one, how hearts from proud ambition's height have drooped to darkest, lowest hell, from blazing noon to pitchy night, with pangs a demon tongue may tell, how aspirations glory fraught have gained the goal in dark despair. How golden hopes have come to naught but wailings in the midnight air. There, and the life I ne'er could give in pitying tenderness I've ta'en, far better thus to die, than live a life of helpless, hopeless pain. Ambitious hearts, high vaulting power us, that aim to grasp life's distant sky, see through the spirit-blinding hours what wrought the fall of yonder fly. To a friend, I fear to name thee. If I were to do so, 
I could never tell what virtues crown thy nature rare. Twould pain thy heart, I know it well. Thou dost not ask for thy reward in words that all the world may hear, for thoughtful acts and kind regard by thee for others everywhere. Thou seek'st alone for grateful thought from those to whom thy worth is known, so for much good thine heart hath wrought fine gratitude within mine own. Retribution A spider once wove a right marvelous net, whose equal no human hand ever wove yet, so complete in design was each beautiful fret, and finished in every particular. And the wily old architect, proud of his craft, ensconced in a snug little sanctum abaft, laid wait for the flies, and he chuckled and laughed, as he pricked up his organs auricular. A week had elapsed, and the spider still wrought fell ruin on all the frail flies that he caught. All right rules of decency said he had not, each meal made him much more rapacious. But his foot got entangled one horrible hour, as he rushed forth a purr screaming fly to devour and to get his leg free was far out of his power, secure was our spider sagacious. Where now is the beautiful fabric of gauze? Behold, in the center, by one of his claws, a dead spider is hanging surrounded by flaws and many a struggle-made fracture. T'was hard, in the height of his fly-killing fun, and sad, in the light of a summer-day sun, to die all alone, as that spider had done, in a mesh of his own manufacture. The Three Graces I. Her hair is as bright as the sunbeam's light, and she walks with a regal grace, and she bears full proud to the empty crowd the wealth of her wondrous face, and her haughty smile thus speaks the while. Approach me on bended knee. She's a beautiful star I could worship afar, but her love's not the love for me. 2. Her hair is as black as the raven's back, and her face, what a queenly one, and her voice ripples out like the trembling shout of a lark when he sings to the sun but her form is filled with a soul self-willed that would lord o'er a luckless he. Pride reigns in her breast, like snow in a nest, and her love's not the love for me. 3. Her hair. What mind I the tint of her hair, when her eyes are the tenderest blue, and her loving face bears many a grace lit up with a sunny hue. When I find, oh I find, that her heart is kind, that she goes not abroad to see the world, or be seen. Her love, I ween, is the love that was made for me. The last rose of summer. Where now is the summer's last rose, that reigned like a queen on the briar? Tea is faded, and o'er its grave glows the glad warmth of winter's first fire. We welcome the flame with delight, as we welcome the rose in the spring, but the blossoms as not in our sight mid pleasures which firesides bring. And so with life's swallowing friends, the rose is adored in its day but when its prosperity ends tea is cast like a puppet away. The Starling and the Goose A Fable A silly bird of waddling gait on a common once was bred, and brainless was his adelpate as the stubble on which he fed. Ambition fired once on a day he took himself to flight, and in a castle all decay he nestled out of sight. Oh why, said he, should mind like mine, midst gosling flock be lost? In learning I was meant to shine and up his bill he tossed. I'll hide, said he, and in the dark, I'll like an owl cry out. In wisdom owls are birds of mark, and none shall find me out. And so from turret hooted he at all he saw and heard. Hoo-hoo! Hoo-hoo! What melody! And what a silly bird! At length a starling which had flown down on the castle wall thus spake. Why what a simple drone! You are to sit and bawl! 
though you presume an owl to be. It's not a bit of use. Your body though folks cannot see. They know the difference, pardon me, betwixt the screech of owl up tree and the cackling of a goose. The Heroes of Alma. October, 1854. Heaven speed you, braves. Undaunted laying hearts well have you thus redeemed a solemn trust, and added, by your bright heroic deeds, another lustrous ray to deck the brow of this the good old land, whose gladdened heart leaps forth for very joy and thankfulness, proud of the gallant sons she calls her own. Right nobly have you tamed the gauntlet-up ambition flung before the world, and fought gainst evil, might, and hated despot law, bled conquered, clipped the wings of soaring pride, and earned in surfland such a brilliant name time's breath can never dim. But list, a wail of soaring sadness sweeps across the land, with which the upsent jubilant psalm is blent. Reft orphans' cries, in mournful cadence soft, sobs wrung from widows' broken, bleeding hearts, and fond hoar-headed parents' sighs and tears, commingling all, Merge in a requiem sad for those brave hearts that fell in freedom's cause. Then let us plant fame's laurels o'er their graves, and keep them green with tears of gratitude. A kind word, a smile, or a kiss. There's a word, softly spoken, which letteth the erring from darkness and night. There's an effortless action that sheddeth a sun-world of gladdening light. There's a sweet something-nothing which bringeth a foretaste of paradise bliss. Full and large is the love that upspringeth from kind words, a smile, or a kiss. Eyes a plenty with tears have been blinded, hearts legion in sadness have bled, and many of earth's angel-minded in grief have gone down to the dead, and the world, with its bright laughing gladness, oft changed to a frowning abyss, by vain mortals refusing, in madness, a kind word, a smile, or a kiss. Dear Mother, I'm thinking of thee. New Year's Day, 1855 in the hush of night, when the pale starlight through my casement silently steals, when the moon walks on to the bower of the sun, and her beautiful face reveals, when tranquils the scene, and the mist on the green lies calm as a slumbering sea, from my lattice I peep, ere I lay down to sleep, and whisper a prayer for thee, mother, dear mother, oh blessings on thee, from my lattice I peep, ere I lay down to sleep, and think, dear mother of thee. When the dew goes up from the white lily cup in rose-colored clouds to the sky, when the voice of the lark trembles out from the dark, and the winds kiss the flowers with a sigh, when the king of dawn, like a world newborn, scatters love-light over the lea, from my lattice I peep, when I wake from sleep, and whisper a prayer for thee, mother, dear mother, oh blessings on thee, from my lattice I peep, when I wake from sleep, and think, dear mother of thee, the heron and the weather vane. A fable. A weather vane on steeple top had stood for many a day, and every year a coat of gold increased his aspect gay. Subservient to the changing air, each puff he'd quickly learned to obey with sycophantic twist and never failing turn. A heron once, from Lolifan, soared up in stately flight, but striking gainst the gilded vane, he fell in sorry plight, and as, with wounded wing, he lay down in the marsh below, he thus addressed the glittering thing the cause of all his woe. Vain upstart, tis from such as thee that merit, lowly born, in striving off to win a name, wins not but bitter scorn, but for such treacherous knaves as thou, what crowds of souls would soar with lofty swoop, that now, like me, will mount, ah, never more. It fits thee well, that lacquer suit, base flunky as thou art. 
Though bright, it never covered brain, though gilded, ne'er a heart. Rather than wear upon my back such livery as thine, I'd earn an honest crust, and make the scullion's calling mine. The Three Mirrors A Fable Three mirrors of the usual sort were gifted once with power of thought, and as they hung against the wall they felt that they were prophets all. The first, a plate glass o'er the fire, the next, a concave, standing higher, a portly convex tatha's side made up the three, and as he eyed his brother mirrors, brilliant each, thus gave to thought the reign of speech. Such power as mine who ever saw. If in my face without a flaw men chance to gaze, they taller seem than what they are, delightful scheme. I like to elongate the truth, what else but flattery pleases youth. A boy who in my face should skin will grow as tall as any man, says Convex. That is not the case with me, for those who in my face should chance to look, themselves will find turned into things of dwarfish kind. To praise mankind is what I hate, what says our neighbor, Master Plate? The plate glass then essayed to speak, said he. My friends, I never seek so to distort the things I see that none can tell what things they be. I find it more convenient far to show mankind just what they are. A table the dispute had heard, and asked for leave to say a word. Agreed, rejoined the glassy crowd, when thus the table spoke aloud. The virtues which you each would claim as yours are virtues but in name. You, concave, lessen what you see. Though well you know t should larger be. While convex I to flattery prove, makes mounts of what are mites alone. Plain spoken plate, in wrong the least, would tell a beast that was a beast, forgetting tis not always right to judge from what appears in sight. Your faces ought to blush for shame, and yet you think you're not to blame. You know that men are slow to think, and will of any fountain drink, who fear their brains behest to do, so frame their faith from such as you. Judged by the simplest human rules, you are the knaves, and they the fools. The Two Clocks A Fable A country dame, to early rising prone, two clocks possessed, the one, a rattling Dutch, seldom aright, though noisy in its tone, with naughty knack of striking two too much. The other was a steady, stately piece, that rang the hour true as the finger told, for many a year tea had kept its corner place. The owner said twas worth its weight in gold. One washing eve, the dame, to rise at four, sought early rest, and capped and gowned, did droop fast as a church, to judge from nasal snore, that broke the silence with a hoarse whore hoop, when all at once with fitful start she woke, for that same tinkling Dutchman on the stair had told the hour of four with clattering stroke, and waked the sleeper ere she was aware. Odd drat the clock, she sighed, but knowing well the cackling thing struck two at least a head, she turned and back to such deep slumber fell, but for her snore you might have thought her dead. And so she slept till four o'clock was due, when t'other time peace truly told the tale. Straightway the drowsy dame to labor flew, and soon the suds went flirting round the pale. Moral. Who breaks faith in petty ways will never hold a friend, while he who ne'er a trust betrays gets trusted to the end. Sacrificial. Written after witnessing the execution of two Greek sailors at Swansea, March, 1859. The morning broke fair, with a florid light, and the lark fluttered upward in musical flight, as the sun stepped over the distant height in mantle purple and golden. The blue bounding billows and waltzing play looped up in the face of the coming day, and sang, as they danced o'er the sandy bay, their sea songs mystic and olden. High up, on the gable of yonder jail, 
The workmen are plying with hammer and nail, and the slow-rising framework hinteth a tale of mournful and somber seeming. Tis the gibbet that rears its brow on high, and the morn breezes pass it with many a sigh, as it stands gazing up to the fair blue sky like a specter dumbly dreaming. Through lane and alley, through alley and street the echoes are startled by hurrying feet, and thousands, in action fitful and fleet, press on to the execution. The squalid-faced mother her baby bears, and the father his boy on his shoulder rears, the frail and the sinning emerge in pairs from darkness and destitution. Aloft on the gibbet two beings stand, whose foreheads are smirched with the murder brand, whose lives, by the lawgiver's bungling and bland, declared are to justice forfeit. Below, like a statue stark and still, a legion of faces, in brutish will, gaze up to the gallows with many a thrill, and thirst for the coming surfeit. But one more look at the silvery sea, one thought of the lark in its musical glee, one breath of the sweet breeze, balmy and free, one prayer from two hearts that falter, and lo! In reply to a mortal's nod, from the gibbet tree dangle two pieces of clod, their souls standing face to face with their god, each wearing a hangman's halter. Ah! Shrink from the murderer, quaint, wise world, yea, shudder at sight of him, sanctified world. Go, plume him up deftly, clever old world. Till he shines like a gilded excrescence, then strangle him dog-like, a civilized plan. Quick! Trample his life out, he's not of the clan, he stinks in the nostrils of saintly man, though fit for the infinite's presence. Wales to Punch! On his milking the Amand honorable to Wales and the Welsh, in some verses, the last of which was the following. And Punch! Incarnate justice intends henceforth to lick all who shall scorn and sneer at you, you jolly little brick. I'm glad, old friend, that you your error see, of sneering where you cannot understand. You've owned your fault. Let bygones bygones be. Pass blows from punch forgetting. There's my hand. Lick whom you list. Creation if you please. Let those who choose laugh at me. Let them sneer. I earn, before I eat, my bread and cheese. I love my language and I like my beer. Content with what I have, so that it come through honest sources, happy at my lot, I seek not, wish not, for a fairer home. Hard work, my Bible, children, wife, a cot, these are my birthright, these I'll strive to keep, and round my humble hearth affection bind, for my steadfast untold pleasures reap, and try to live at peace with all mankind. Then glad am I that you your error see, of sneering where you cannot understand, You've owned your fault. Let bygones bygones be. Pass blows from punch forgetting. There's my hand. Welcome. The following was written as a prologue, to be read at the opening of the Wrexham National Estevad, 1876. It was not successful in taking the offered prize, but as the adjudicator who made the award was pleased to say it was above the average, I have thought its publication here will not be out of place. Welcome. Thrice welcome, one and all, to this our nation's festival, B.T. peer or peasant, old or young, welcome. Thrice welcome, friends among. If peer, no title that he bears, no decoration that he wears, can the proud name of Bard excel, or pale the badge he loves so well. If peasant, he may here be taught that none are poor who, rich in thought, possess in mind's high utterings a nobler heritage than kings. If old, what once you were you'll see, if young, what piraps one day you'll be, for youth yearns upward to the sage, 
and childhood's joy delighteth age. Come rich, come poor, come old and young, and join our feast of art and song. What forms our banquet all shall know, and hungry homeward none must go. We boast not here of knife or platter, our feast is of the mind, not matter, along our festive board observe no crystal fruit, no rare preserve, no choice exotic here and there, with wine cups sparkling everywhere, no toothsome dish, no morsel sweet, such savory things as people eat, so if for these ye yearn, refrain, for these you'll look and long in vain. Our feast composed of dainty dishes, to suit far daintier tastes and wishes. While for the splendor of our wine, I've oft-times heard it called divine, for who that drinks of music stream, or quaffs of art's inspiring theme, shall say that both are things of earth, that both are not of heavenly birth. While gathered blossoms fade away, the poet's thoughts forever stay, e'en as the rose's perfumed breath survives the faded floret's death. No pleasure human hand can give is lasting, all things briefly live. But sounds which flow from minstrelsy vibrate through all eternity. Then welcome, welcome, one and all, to this, our nation's festival. Come rich, come poor, come old and young, and join our feast of art and song. Change. In the summer golden, when the forests olden shook their rich tresses gaily in the morn, and the lark upflew, sprinkling silver dew down from its light wing o'er the yellow corn, when every blessing seemed the earth caressing, as though twere fondled by some love sublime, strong in her youthful hope, upon the sunny slope a maid sat, dreaming o'er the happy time, dreaming what blissful heights were hers to climb. In the winter dreary, when the willow, weary, hung sad and silent o'er the frozen stream, and the trembling lark murmured, cold and stark, in wailful pathos o'er its vanished dream, when the bleak winds lingered and dead flowerets fingered, when all earth's graces, pale and coffined, slept, with joys forever flown, in the wide world alone, over a broken faith a maiden wept, yet, with unswerving love, true vigil kept. False as fair. My heart was like the rosebud that woos the summer's glance, and trembles neath its magic touch as breeze kissed lilies dance. So, like the faithless summer, she kissed me with a sigh, and woke my life to gladness, then passed in beauty by. My heart was like the blossom that blooms beside the brook, and revels in its silvery laugh, its bright and sunny look. So, like the graceful streamlet, she kissed me with a sigh, and woke my life to gladness, then passed in beauty by. Heads and Hearts The head fell in love one day, as young heads will oftentimes do. What it felt I cannot say. That is nothing to me nor to you. But this much I know, it made a great show and told every friend it came near if its idol should rove it could ne'er again love, no being on earth was so dear. So time, the fleet-footed, moved on, and the head knew not what to believe. A whole fortnight its love had been gone, and it felt no desire to grieve. Its passion so hot in a month was forgot, and in six weeks no trace could be found, while, in two months, the head, which should then have been dead, for another was looking around. The heart fell in love one day. The mischief was very soon done. It tried all it could to be gay, but loving, it found, was not fun. Four hours it would sit in a moping fit, and could only throb lively and free when that one was near which it felt was so dear, and when that one was absent, ah me! So the days and the nights hurried on, and the heart nursed in silence its thought, to a distance its idol had gone, then it felt how completely twas caught, other hearts came to sue, to the absent twas true, 
loving better the longer apart. Thus while love in the head is very soon dead, it is deathless when once in the heart. Fall of Sebastopol. 1855. Advance! was the cry that shot up to the sky when the dawn of the day had begun, and the steel glistened bright in the glad golden light of a glorious eastern Sunday, and the words rang clear, with no trembling fear. Brave Britons! On you I rely! And the answer pealed out with a mighty shout. Sebastopol falls, or we die! Advance, advance, men of England and France! Sebastopol falls, or we die! Now the death storm pours, and the smoke upsoars, and the battle rages with furious might, and the red blood streams, and the fire flash gleams, and the writhing thousands, God! God! What a sight! The hoarse-throated cannon belch fiery breath, and hurl forth the murderous rain, which dances along on its message of death, and sings o'er the dying and slain. Crash! Crash! Then a leap and a dash! Hand to hand, face to face, goes the fight. The bayonets plunge, and the red streams plash, and up goes a shout of delight. The enemy runs, men flinch from their guns. On! Forward! For God and for right! Advance, advance, men of England and France! Press forward, for freedom and right! On, on, on! Hurrah! The goal's won, see! The old colors flutter and dance, and proudly they wave over tyranny's grave. Well done! Men of England and France, hurrah! Hurrah! For old England and France! To Lord Derby. 1877. As the monarch that grows in the forest, and rears its brow evergreen to the firmament bright, so steadfast and sturdy, thy proud form appears, of patriots the hope, and thy country's delight. Through thy heart, firm and true as the oak trees that stand in the soil of old England, in which thou hast grown, there runs the same life which they draw from the land, and the heart of thy country as the life of thine own. With the seal of nobility set by thy sire, thou treadst in his steps as thou bearest his name, and the glow that he added to Albion's fire reflects through the past and enhances thy fame. Where freedom is freest, thou takest thy stand, where tyranny threatens, thy mission is told, and thy tongue, which we hail as the voice of the land, speaks the wish of a nation heroic and bold. And bright will the name be of England, as long as safe in thy keeping her honor remains. Twill stand amongst the noblest in story and song, and be worthy the purest and loftiest strains. Unrequited. A beautiful streamlet went dancing along, with its bright brow fretted with floress, and it leapt o'er the woodland with many a song, and laughed through the sunny hours. Away and away! All the blue summer day, the streamlet went laughing away. A willow tree grew near the light-hearted brook, and hung o'er the beauty and pride, and he yearned night and day for a kiss or a look from the streamlet that flowed at his side. But away and away, all the blue summer day, the streamlet went laughing away. All his leaves and his blossom he showered on her head, and would gladly have given his life, but to all this affection the streamlet was dead and she laughed at the willow's heart strife. And away, away, all the blue summer day, the streamlet went laughing away. Ah, me, quoth the willow, how false was the dream! And drooping, heartbroken he died, while his last leaf and love he let fall on the stream that so coldly flowed on at his side. And away, away, all the blue summer day, 
the streamlet went laughing away. The household spirit. A spirit stealeth up and down the stairs noiseless as thistledown upon the wind, so calm, so sweetly calm, the look it wears, mouthful as music is its voice, and kind. Like lustrous violets full of twinkling life two orbs of beauty light its face divine, and o'er its cheeks a dainty red runs rife, like languid lilies flushed with rosy wine. Its velvet touch doth soothe where dwells a pain, its glance doth angelize each angry thought, and like a rainbow picture in the rain, where tears fall thick its voice is comfort fraught. How like a seraph bright it threads along each room erewhile so desolate and dark, waking their slumbering echoes into song as laughs the morn when uproused by the lark. Methinks a home doth wear its heavenliest light when haunted by so good, so fair a sprite. Had I a heart. Had I a heart to give away as when, in days that now are o'er, we watched the bright blue billows play, roaming along the sounding shore, when joys like summer blossoms bloomed, when love and hope were all our own, I'd bring that heart, to sadness doomed, and let it beat for thee alone. Had I a heart to give away, its daily thought in life would be, like yonder bird, with trembling lay, to sing sweet songs, dear love, of thee. But, ah, the heart that once was mine is mine, alas, no more to give, and joys that once were joys divine in emmy now alone can live. A bridal simile. Adown the world two grand historic streams with stately flow moved on through widening ways, rich with the glory of life's noblest dreams bright with the halo of life's sunniest days. Out from their depths two blithesome streamlets ran, o'er which the smiles of heaven hourly shone, till, meeting, ah! Then life afresh began, for both, embracing, mingled into one. From yonder rose two crystal dewdrops hung but yestermorn. The sun came forth and kissed the gems that to the perfumed blossom clung, and clothed them with a robe of purple mist. The soft, warm wind of heaven gently breathed upon the twain, they hung no more apart, but with the sweetness of a rosebud wreathed, blent soul with soul and mingled heart with heart. Live on, united pair, with love so blessed your pathway ought but sunny may not be. Live on, united pair, and be the breast of thornless roses yours unceasingly. And as the river to the ocean flies be yours to pass as gently from life's shore, then, like sweet fragrance when the blossom dies, leave names to live in emmy emory evermore. Song they tell me thou art faithless, love, that vows thy lips have sworn, the smiles which light thy lovely face, are false as April morn, my brightest dreams of happiness they wish me to forget, but no, the spell that won my love doth bind my spirit yet, they tell me thou art faithless, love, and changeful as a dream, they say thou art frail as drifts of sand that kiss the laughing stream, they whisper if I would thee, sweet, my heart will no regret, but no, the spell that won my love doth bind my spirit yet. I would my love. I would my love were not so fair in sweet external beauty, and dreamt less of her charms so rare, and more of homely duty. The rose that blooms in pudent pride when plucked will pout most sorely. Piraphsia mooing from my bride will grow more self-willed hourly. Her form might shame the graceful face. Her face wears all life's graces but wayward thoughts and wayward ways make far from pretty faces. I would my love were not so fair, I mean it when I breathe it what though each hair be golden hair, if temporal dwells neath it. Her lips would make the red rose blush, her voice trolls graceful phrases, 
her brow as calm as evening's hush, her teeth as white as daisies. Her cheeks are fresh as infant days, round which cling beauty's traces, but wayward thoughts and wayward ways make far from pretty faces. Death in Life, A True Story The following simple narrative is founded on fact. A young village couple married, and soon after their marriage went to live in London. Success did not follow the honest-hearted husband in his search for employment, and he and his young wife were reduced to actual want. In their wretchedness a child was born to them, which died in the midst of the desolate circumstances by which the young mother was surrounded. For three years the mother was deprived of reason, a gloomy period of death in life, and passionately mourned the loss of her firstborn. An eminent London practitioner, to whom her case became known, was of opinion that reason would return should a second child be born to the disconsolate mother. This proved to be correct, and after three years of mental aberration the sufferer woke as from a dream. For many months after the awakening she was under the impression that her second child was her firstborn, and only became aware of the true state of the case when it was gently broken to her by her husband. I, lovely as a sunbright spring is, yonder trembling maid advances, clothed in beauty like the morning, like the silver-misted morning, with a face of shiny radiance, tinted with a tinge of blushes, like reflections from a goblet filled with wine of richest ruby. Now she nears the low church portal, flickers through the whitewashed portal, lighting up the sleepy structure, as a sunbeam lights the drowsy blossom into wakeful gladness. See! She stands before the altar, with the chosen one beside her, and the holy mentor murmurs words that link their lives like rivets, which no force should break asunder. Now the simple prayer is ended, and two souls, like kissing shadows, mingle so no hand shall part them. Mingle like sweet chord music, mingle like the sighs of summer, like the breath of fruit and blossom, mingle like two kissing raindrops, twain in one. Thrice happy maiden, life to thee is like the morning, as the fresh-faced balmy morning, full of melody and music, full of soft delicious fragrance, full of love, as dew-soaked jasmines are of sweet and spicy odor, full of love, as leaping streamlets are of life. Thrice happy maiden, Two. Turn we to a lowly dwelling, one amongst a million dwellings, where a mother silent rocketh to and fro with downlet eyelids, gazing on her sleeping infant, while the just expiring embers smolder through the gloomy darkness. On the shelf a rushlight flickers with a dull and sickly glimmer, turning night to ghostly, deathly, pallid wretchedness and sadness, just revealing the dim outline of a pale and tearful mother, with a babe upon her bosom. Thus am I, she muttered wailing, left to linger lorn and lonely in the morning of my being. If twere not for thee, my sweet babe, lily of my life's dark waters, silver link that holds my sad heart to the earth, I fain would lay me down, and sleep death's calm and sweet sleep. Oh, how sweetly calm it must be, in the green and silent graveyard, with the moonlight and the daisies. If twere not for thee, my loved one, I could lay me down and kiss death with the gladness I now kiss thee. Oh, how cold thy tiny lips are, like a springtime blossom frozen. Nestle, dear one, in my bosom. And the mother pressed the sleeper closer, closer, to her white breast, forward, backward, gently rocking, while the rushlight flickered ghastly. Hark! A footstep nears the dwelling, and the door is flung wide open, banging backward against the table, and a human being enters, flushed with liquor, 
drenched with water. For the rain came down in torrents, and the wind blew cold and gusty. Well, Blanche, spake the thoughtless husband, not unkindly. Weeping always. Yes, Charles, I could ne'er have slumbered had I gone to bed, she answered. Then she rose to shut the night out, but the stubborn wind resisted, and for spite dashed through the crevice of the window. Foolish girl, then, thus to wait for me, he muttered. When a shriek, so wild, so piercing, weirdly wild, intensely piercing, struck him like a sharp stiletto. Then another, and another, purging clear his turbid senses. Blanche, he cried, and sprang towards her just in time to save her falling, and her child fell from her bosom, like a snowfall from the housetop to the earth. Blanche, Blanche, he gasped out. Tell me what it is that pains thee. But her face was still as marble. Then he kissed her cheeks, her forehead, then her lips, and called out wildly, Blanche, my own neglected darling, look, look up, and say thou livest speak, if but to curse thy husband, curse thy wretched, heartless husband. Then her eyelids slowly opened, and she gazed up in his white face, white as paper as her own was. Charles, she sighed, I have been dreaming. Is my child dead? No, he answered. See, tis sleeping. Dead? The mother murmured faintly. Sleeping, sleeping. In a chair he gently placed her, then he stooped to take the child up, kissed and placed it on her bosom. Frantic then the mother hugged it, gazed a moment, then with laughter wild she made the room re-echo. They would take my bonny baby, rob me of my dainty darling, would they? Ha! 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 She shouted and she turned her large blue eyes up with a strange and fitful gazing, laughing till the tears chased madly down her cheeks of pallid whiteness. Dear, dear Blanche, her husband murmured, stretching out his hand towards her, but she started wildly forward, crouched down in the furthest corner, and with face tear-dabbled over, and her hair in long, lank tresses, with a voice so low and plaintive twould have won a brute to lameness, faintly sobbed she. Do not take it! Do not take it, do not take it. And she hugged her infant closer, sobbing sadly. Do not take it. Blanche, dear Blanche, her husband faltered, with a voice low, hushed, and chokeful. I, I am thy worthless husband. Then he walked a step towards her, but the girl with wildered features drew her thin hand over her forehead, and in wandering accents muttered, Husband? Husband? No, not husband. I am still a laughing maiden, yet methought I had been married, and bore such a sweet, sweet baby, such a fair and bonny baby. Baby, baby, hush, the wild wind sings so plaintive. Hush, H. And then she laid the child upon the cold floor, and with hair in wild disorder, laughing, crying, sobbing, talking, o'er it hung, like March A shivering o'er the birth of infant April. Lightly then her husband touched her on the shoulder, but she looked not. Spake not, move not. Slowly rose she from her kneeling, crouching posture, and she stood a hopeless dreamer, with the child a corpse beside her. 3. In a dry and sun-parched graveyard, in a small corpse-crowded graveyard, with the lurid sky above it, with the smoke from chimneys o'er it, with the din of life around it, din of rushing life about it, sat a girlish, grief-worn figure, crouched up in the darkest corner with her pallid face turned upwards, 
to and fro in silence rocking on a little mound of dark dirt. Like a veiled nun rose the pale moon, draped about with fleecy vapor, and the stars in solemn conclave came to meet her, came to greet her, to their convent home to bear her. She had soared above the dingy earth, and left the world behind her. As she passed she looked down sadly, gazed with silent, noble pity, at the girlish, grief-worn figure, sitting in the darkest corner of that small corpse-crowded graveyard, with her pallid face turned upwards, on a little mound of dark dirt. Round about from windows flickered lights, which told of inside revels, rooms, with mirth and banquets laden, sobbing kisses, soft embraces, feasts of love and feasts of pleasure, ruby lips and joyous laughter. Then the buzz of life grew softer, broken only by the tramping of a troop of bacchanalians, reeling through the streets deserted, with their loud uproarious language. Still the girlish, grief-worn figure, crouched in dark and dreary corner of that small corpse-crowded graveyard, with her pallid face turned upwards, on a little mound of dark dirt. The grey herald of the morning, dapple-clad, came forth to tell the sleepy world his lord was coming. Straight the drowsy buildings leapt up like huge giants from their slumber, and with faces flushed and ruddy, waited for the king of morning. Lo! He comes from far-off mountains, with a glory robe about him, with a robe of gold and purple, and a buzz of mighty wonder rises as, with step majestic, and with glance sublime, he walks on, gathering his robe about him, to his west-embowered palace, still the girlish, grief-worn figure, crouched in dark and dreary corner of that small corpse-crowded graveyard, with her pallid face turned upwards, to and fro in silence rocking, on a little mound of black dirt. When the box which held her treasure had been borne from home and buried, she had followed, undetected, and when all had left the graveyard she had crept to that small hillock, trembling like a half-crushed lily, yearning towards the child beneath her, yet, the while, to earth-life clinging by a link, bruised but unbroken. Whilst at home her frantic husband called aloud in vain for Blanche! For Hours flew by like honey-laden bees, with sting and honey-laden, days, like ghostly shadows, flitted by, and weeks and months rolled onward with a never-ceasing rolling, like the blue bright waves a-rolling, never quiet, never-ending. Still the girlish, grief-worn figure might be seen, with vacant glances, threading through life's rushing whirlpool, gliding, like a sunbeam, o'er it, to that small corpse-crowded graveyard, where for hours she'd sit and murmur, with a wild and plaintive wailing. Come back, darling! Come back, darling! Come, for I am broken-hearted. When at home, with nimble fingers off she'd clothe the doll and call it her sweet babe, her darling baby, her long-absent, long-lost baby, her fair bonny-featured baby, and her husband would bend o'er her, with low words of pure affection as when first he wooed and won her. And her home was not the dungeon, the sad, dark, and dismal dungeon, the cold death vault of her infant, with the drear and ghastly rushlight, but a home of cottage comfort, every sweet of love and loving. Yes, the wan and pallid mother found on that dark night, a husband, found a home, but lost her reason. The do not for the world awake her, twere her death knell to awake her urged the old and careful nurse-wife. Let me look but for a moment, gaze but for one little moment. T'was the voice of Charles that pleaded softly, then, he drew the curtain, gently, fearful, drew the curtain. Charles, dear Charles, 
a faint voice murmured, in a tone so weak and lowly, sweetly weak and soul-subduing. Blanche, my sweet one, gasped the husband. Dost thou know me? God, I thank thee. Then he threw his arms around her, and amidst a shower of kisses, truest, purest, grateful kisses, drew the loved one to his bosom, and the babe that nestled near her covered he with warm caresses. Reason, like a golden sunbeam on a lily cup, had lightened her sweet soul so dark and turbid, for three years so darkly turbid, three long years so dark and turbid. Charles, my dream has been a sad one, spake she, like expiring music, shadowed with a mournful sadness. I have dreamt they stole my baby, buried my dear, darling infant. Then she took the babe and kissed it, pressed it to her snowy bosom, and with voice low, soft, and grateful, murmured, Charles, I am so happy. Do not weep, I'm very happy. 6. Reader, tis no idle fiction, once a lovely, laughing maiden, lovely as a summer morning, lived and loved, as I have told thee, lost her babe, as I have told thee, and a mental night came o'er her like a ghastly, gaping fissure, like a chasm of empty darkness. As a new-made grave in summer bulges up dark and unsightly, with the bright blue sky above it, and the daisies smiling round it, so, with all its doleful darkness, fell the dream of that fair sufferer o'er her mind with inward canker, like a slug upon the rose-leaf. Then she woke, as I have told thee, after three years trance-like sleeping, knowing not she had been sleeping, and for months she never doubted that the child she loved and fondled was liar-long-dead darling firstborn. Happy hearts all feared to tell her, death and life again they dreaded. Now no death and life they fear, Blanche is happy all the year. Song of the Strike 1874 With features haggard and worn, with a child in its coffin, dead, with a wife and sons o'er a fireless hearth, in a hovel with never a bed, while the wind through lattice and door is driving the sleet and rain, a workman strong, with sinews of steel, sits singing this dismal refrain, Strike! 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 Let the bright wheels of industry rust, let us earn in our shame a pauper's name, or eat of a criminal crust. Ah! What though the little ones die, and women sink weary and weak, and the paths of life, with suffering rife, be paved with the hearts that break? While souls, famine-smitten and crushed, seek food in the skies away, this workman strong, with sinews of steel, sits singing his terrible lay, Strike! 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 Let the bright wheels of industry rust, let us earn in our shame a pauper's name, or eat of a criminal crust. And while the dark workhouse gate is besieged by a famishing crowd, forge, hammer, and mine, with their mission divine, lie dumb, like a corpse in a shroud. And plenty, with beckon and smile, points up at the golden rain that is ready to fall to beautify all, but is checked by the dread refrain, Strike! 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 Let the bright wheels of industry rust, let us earn in our shame a pauper's name, or eat of a criminal crust. Alas! That a spirit so brave, that a heart so loyal and true, should crouch in the dust with a sightless trust at the nod of a selfish few. Alas! That the olden ties, the links binding master and man, a, should be broken in twain, and this ghostly refrain cloud all with its shadowy ban. Strike! 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 Let the bright wheels of industry rust. Let us earn in our shame a pauper's name, or eat of a criminal crust.
A. In a recent address to his workman, Mr. Robert Crawshay, the extensive ironmaster of Sepharthfa Castle, said, The happy time has passed, and black times have come. You threw your old master overboard, and took to strangers, and broke the tide between yourselves and me. When the deputation came up to me at the castle, and I asked them to give me a fortnight to work off an old order of rails, and they refused, I then told them the old tie was broken, and from that day to this it has. Nature's Heroes Dedicated to the Welsh miners who bravely rescued their fellows at the inundation of the Tynewood Colliery. Friday, April 20, 1877 A. Hero from instinct, and by nature brave, is he who risks his life a life to save, who sees no peril, be it e'er so great, where helpless human lives for succor wait, who looks on death with selfless disregard, whose sense of duty brings its own reward. Such are the braves who now inspire my pen, pride of the gods, and heroes among men. The warrior who, on glorious battle plain, falls bravely fighting, dies to live again in fame hereafter, this he, falling, knows, and painless hence are war's most painful blows. This is the hope that buoys his latest breath, stanches the wound, and plucks the sting from death. But humbler hearts that sally forth to fight gainst foes unseen, in realms of pitchy night, ne'er dreaming that the chivalrous affray will e'er be heard of, more than heroes they, and more deserving they their country's praise than nobler names that wear their country's bays. Duty, which glistens in the garish beam that makes it beautiful, as jewels gleam when sunlight pours upon them, lacks the power, the grandeur, which, in dark and secret hour, crowns lowly brows with bravery more bright than fame achieved in glory's dazzling light. Nature's heroics need but suns to shine to show the world their origin divine, and as the plant in darksome cave will grow whether warm sunshine bless its face or no, a secret impulse yearning day and night and hourly striving toward yes the unseen light, so lives the hero germ in every heart, of earthly life the bright, the heavenly part, the power that brings the blossom from the sod, and gives to man an attribute of God. A. For men and a boy were entombed for nine days, from noon on Wednesday, April 11th, to midday on Friday, April 20th, in the Tynewood Pit, Rhonda Valley. They were at length rescued by the almost superhuman efforts of a band of brave workers, who, at the risk of their lives, cut through thirty-eight yards of the solid coal rock in order to get at their companions, working day and night, and, at times, regarding every stroke a prelude to almost certain death. Their heroic exertions were crowned with success, and they received the recorded thanks of their queen and country, having the further honor bestowed upon them of being the first recipients of the Albert Medal, given by Her Majesty for acts of exceptional bravery. Elegy on the Death of a Little Child He came, as red-lipped rosebuds in the summer come, a tiny angel, let from heaven to Rome, with laughing love to clothe our childless home the godsent cherub came. He lived one little hour. What bliss was in the space! Our lives that day were fringed with fresher grace, and in the casket of our darling's face what honeyed hopes were hived. He drooped, and o'er our souls a mighty sorrow swept. With many fears the night-long watch we kept, tearful and sad, yet even as we wept our star-faced beauty drooped. He died and darksome grew our life's bright morning Sunday gloomy the day so radiantly begun. What joy, what joy, without our darling one, is all the world beside. Tis past, the perfumed rosebud of our life is dead, helpless we bend, and mourn the cherub fled, 
even as the bruised reed bends low its head before the cruel blast. Magdalene. Penitent. Penniless. Where can she go? Her poor heart is aching with many a woe. Repentant, though sinning, remorseful and sad, she weeps in the moonlight while others are glad. Shrink not away from her, stained though she be, she once, as the purest, was sinless and free, and penitence bringeth a shroud for her shame, hide it forgetfully, pity, nor blame. Penniless, penitent, gone every hope, warm lights are gleaming from basement to cope. Plenty surroundeth her, starving and stark, lonely she pleadeth out in the dark. The cold moon above her, the black stream below, no friendly voice near her, where can she go? Turn every face from her closed every door, plash in the moonlight. She pleadeth no more. Love walks with humanity yet. Though toilers for gold stain their souls in a strife that enslaves them to avarice grim, though tyranny's hand fills the wine cup of life with gall, surging over the brim, though might and dark hatefulness reigns for a time, and right by wrong's frownings be met, love lives, a guest angel from heaven's far clime, and walks with humanity yet. And still the world, Balaam-like, blind as the night, sees not the fair seraph stand by that beckons it onward to morning and light, lark-like, from the sod to the sky. Love, slighted, smiles on, as the thorn crown of old, sun-featured and godlike in might, its magic touch changing life's dross into gold, earth's darkness to paradise bright. As gems on death's fingers flash up from the tomb and rays o'er its loneliness shed, as flowerets in early spring tremblingly bloom ere winter's cold ice breath has fled, so love, rainbow-like, smiles through sadness and tears, bridging up from the earth to the sky, the grave neath its glance a bright blossom robe wears, as the night smiles when morn dances by. The rich mellow sunshine that kisses the earth, the florists that laugh up from the sod, the songbirds that psalm out their jubilant mirth heart-wrapped in the presence of God, the sweet purling brooklet, with voice soft and low, the sea shouts, like peals from above, the sky-kissing mountains, the valleys below, all tell us to live and to love. The Two Trees A Fable Two trees once grew beside a running brook, an alder, one, of unassuming mien, his mate, a poplar, who with lofty look wore, with a rustling flirt, his robe of green. With pompous front the poplar mounted high, and curried converse with each swelling breeze, while alder seemed content to live and die a lowly shrub among surrounding trees. And many a little ragged urchin came and plucked the juicy berries from the bough of teeming alder, trading with the same, thus earning oft an honest meal, I trow, but stuck up poplar glance with pride supreme at such low doings, such plebeian ties, cocked up his nose, and thought, oh, fatal dream, to grow, and grow, until he reached the skies. Each autumn alder brought forth berries bright, and freely gave to all who chose to take. Each summer, poplar added to his height, and wore his robe with loftier, prouder shake. One day the woodman, axe on shoulder, came, and laid our soaring poplar amongst the dead, stripped off his robe, and sent him, oh the shame, to prop the gable of a donkey shed. Moral. Who, like alder, strives to aid the lowly where he can, shall win respect from every soul that bears the stamp of man. But he who, poplar-like, o'errides per mortals as they pass, will well be used if used to prop a stable for an ass. Stanzas, written in the shadow of a very dark cloud. Never saw I the righteous forsaken, once sang the good psalmist of old. Nor his seed for a crust humbly begging. 
How oft has the story been told? But the story would ne'er have been written, had the writer but lived in our day, when thousands with hunger are smitten, no matter how plead they or pray. They may say there's a lining of silver to the darkest, the dreariest cloud, that garniture, white fringe, and flowers grace the black pall, the coffin, and shroud. But the lining at best is but vapor, silk and lacquer to nothingness fade after hearts in their sorrow have broken o'er the wrecks which adversity made. They may say that the box of Pandora holds reward in the bottom at last for those who strive on in the searching, and forget the fierce blows of the past. But late comes the voice of approval, and worthless the cup and the crust, when, in striving, by death overtaken, we lie lone and low in the dust. They may say that right living and thinking will keep the grim wolf from the door, but how many saints are there sinking whose crime is to live and be poor? Let the knave promulgate the deception, and dress the world's wounds with such salve, it is false, while rank villainy prospers, and virtue as permitted to starve. They may say, but mankind is a fiction that puzzles the wisest to read, and life is a vast contradiction, a fable, a folly indeed. He happy in heart is who careth no jot for mankind or its ways, to defy the world's frown he who dareth, unconscious of blame or of praise. Verses, written after reading a biography of His Grace the Duke of Beaufort, to whom these lines are respectfully inscribed. 1877 Like a sea with its source in the distance belost, that upholds on its breast, and contains in its heart countless treasures and gems of which none know the cost all the brightest achievements of science and art. So the proud race of Somerset flows down the past, with its statesmen and warriors, kinsmen of kings, with its learning and culture, its heritage vast, and its virtues which inborn nobility brings. In the Wars of the Roses three Somersets gave up their lives for their monarch in danger's dark hour, and the rain of their heart's blood that watered each grave brought a still brighter flush to their destiny's floor. And when men the fair features of liberty smeared with the stain of licentiousness through the dark past, twas a Somerset England's proud standard upreared o'er the stronghold of Raglan, and bled to the last. A stronghold whose name once a warrior bore who with courage undaunted chivalrously led the brave soldiers of England through carnage and gore, where a czar bade defiance, a Somerset bled. Long the foremost in loyalty, forum, and field, where the sword wins renown or where politics grace always first to be doing, the latest to yield, all these are the virtues, the pride of thy race. In the face of thy life like a mirror we see all the lives of true Englishmen shaped as thine own, for the tastes and pursuits which form nature in thee are the food from whose sustenance Britons have grown. When philanthropy leads, in its fights for the poor, no sincere heart follows more keenly than thine, for there's not else in life hath more power to allure, where the soul takes delight in the mission divine. All the ages the wild storms of faction have raved, though alluring the paths in which traitors have trod, not a moment hast thou or thine ancestors waved in your love for old England, its throne, and its God. A simile. In early morning, tall and gaunt, our shadows reach across the street. Like giant sprites they seem to haunt the things we meet. But at noontide more dwarf they fall around about each sun-crowned thing, yet lengthen out, and grow more tall, towards evening. And thus dependence among men is largely seen in childhood's stage, and midlife hides, but comes again with hoary age. The Two Sparrows A Fable Two sparrows, prisoned in a room, kept, every now and then, dashing against the window panes, 
which threw them back again, and many a time, with trembling heart, they flew towards the light, but something which they could not see still stopped them in their flight. A tired they hopped about the floor, and watched the sunshine gay, and each one asked within himself, Why see I get away? Another try, another dash, as though with heart and soul, and one, by chance, the barrier broke, and bounded through the hole. His comrade heard the merry chirp he gave till out of sight, then, fluttering round, to free himself he tried with all his might. But at that moment Puss came in, and on him cast an eye, then took the trembler in her claws and taught him how to die. Moral. How often life, though never meant, men gain their point by accident, or chance, that foe to establish rules, the guiding star of knaves and fools. Floating away. A maiden sat musingly down by the side of life's river that flowed at her feet, and she watched the dark stream neath the willows glide in its voiceless and stately retreat. Twas a solemn tide, deep, dark, and wide, and fringed with a sedgy fray, in the morning, at night, through darkness and light, it floated, floated away. The maid was light-hearted, with features as fair as the sunbeams that played o'er her face, and her bosom was garnished with flowerets rare that gave to it many a grace, and she playfully sung, as she plucked and flung each blossom as bright as the day from her breast to the stream that like a drear dream went floating, floating away. The sun in its brightness illumined the sky, the lark loudly caroled aloft, the breezes swept onward with many a sigh, and kissed with caresses soft. Still, still the fair made by the dark river strayed, and flung forth in thoughtless play each bud from her breast in willful unrest, and laughed as it floated away. Up the tall pine trees clomb the shadows of eve to welcome the coming night, and the recreant bird in the twilight was heard wending nestward in plaintive plight. When, too long delayed, in haste rose the maid heart-tired of her flirting play, and she saw the last gleam of her floress down the stream floating, floating away. The blossoms so chaste that had made her more fair with their sweetness, their perfume, and light, were gone, and her bosom, now cheerless and bare, grew cold in the dewy night. Thus they who, in youth, mistake flirting for truth, and fritter their love but in play, will behold, like the maid, all their brightest charms fade, and floating forever away. A floral fable. A sweet geranium once, in pride of place months rare exotics in a palace lived, with watchful care from tender hands it thrived, standing in lofty sphere with odorous grace. The smiling sun, each morning making call, such tender looks and such sweet kisses gave, that in a little time, true as I live, he to the tender floor was all in all. But true love's course, tis said, ne'er smooth did run, the pretty flower was sent, now here, now there, until at length she found more humble sphere, far, far removed from kisses of the sun. Here, with dejected look, she pined anew, placed in the lattice of a lowly cot, in pent-up alley, fever-fraught and hot, and wore from day to day a sicklier hue. No blessed sunlight flushed her dainty cheek, no cooling breeze refreshed her pallid brow, droopful she stood, methinks I see her now, nursing the grief of which she might not speak. A blinding wall shut out her darling son, toward yes which, with prayerful arm, she hourly reached in mute appeal, and lovingly beseeched, as twere, to gaze upon the worshipped one. No soul e'er panted its dear love to see with dreams more tender than the dying plant, hoping and yearning, with a hungering want, sunward in all her heart's idolatry. But ah! The fickle sun, from floor to floor, 
and lusty love did revel all the day, nor thought of her, now dying far away, whom he had kissed through many a rosy hour. In dead of night, when great hearts die, the storms swept down the barrier that blocked out the light, and in the morn, refreshing, pure, and bright, the sun came leaping in, so soft and warm. But sunshine came too late. The blossom brave, while yearning for dear light and warmth, had died. As men will sometimes die waiting the tide that flows at length to eddy round, a grave. Ring down the curtain. Ring down the curtain, were the last dying words of a young and beautiful American actress, who died of consumption when in the zenith of her popularity. Ring down the curtain, so ends the play. Nighttime is coming, past is the day. Sang I in sadness adorned with a smile, portraying gladness and dying the while. How my brow burneth, with fever oppressed, how my heart yearneth for silence and rest. Soothe me to slumber, why should ye sigh? Ring down the curtain, tis pleasant to die. Ring down the curtain, critics depart. The end of your blaming, a wearisome heart, fame which your praise brought, a summer day cloud, fruit of my toiling, a coffin and shroud. Light though, and fitful, the dreams of my life, my soul like a vessel from ocean of strife calmly and peaceful to her haven doth fly, ring down the curtain, tis pleasant to die. The Telegraph Post A Fable A telegraph post by the roadside stood in a village humble and fair, and he raised his head, did this column of wood, as high as he could in the air. Oh, oh, quoth he, as along the wire the news from the wide world to hurry backwards and forwards in words of fire, breathing promises fair, or threatenings dire, never heeding the post as they flew. Oh, oh, quoth he, that I should stand here, and bear on my shoulders high, such an upstart lot, who no manners have got, to pass me, who appraises them, by, I'll stand it no longer, and thinking, no doubt, to bring down the wires in his fall, he stumbled, but no, for above and below the other posts stood, the wires wouldn't let go, and our posts couldn't tumble at all, and there he hung like a helpless thing, till his place by another was ta'en, and the foolish post with dry sticks a host on the firewood stack was laying. You ignorant dolt, said a raven wise who sat on the wall bright in feather. You must have been blind. When to tumble inclined, you should with your neighboring posts have combined and have all stood or fallen together. Moral. Units, as units, are helpless things in the soul-stirring struggles of life, but success is the laurel which unity brings to crown the true heart in the strife. Breaking on the shore. I saw the sunbeams dancing o'er the ocean one summer time. Bright was each laughing wave. I felt a thrill to see their sweet emotion, each happy in the kiss the other gave. But winter came with all its storm and sadness, and every wave that kissed and smiled before bid long farewell to dreams of sunny gladness and broke its heart upon the stony shore. So, like the summer crown, with many a blessing she dawned upon this lonely heart of mine and life grew lovely with her sweet caressing as blooms the thorn clasped by the bright woodbine. But now, alas, in churchyard bleak she's lying, and dearest joys are gone to come no more, like yonder wave, for absent sunbeams sighing, my heart with grief is breaking on life's shore. Hurrah for the rifle corps set to music and published in 1856. The fair knights of old, with trappings of gold, and falchions that gleamed by their side, went forth to the fight with hearts gay and light to war gainst oppression and pride, 
and though long since dead, it must not be said that the proud reign of chivalry s o'er, there are many as bold as the brave knights of old to be found in the rifle corps. Hurrah! Hurrah! For the rifle corps, may they ever be ready to stand in defense of the right, and be willing to fight for the queen and their native land. Old England intends with the world to be friends, while honor with peace is combined. But the moment her foe lifts his hand for a blow, all friendship she flings to the wind. Should an enemy dare e'en as much as prepare to bring war's alarms to our shore, he will find every coast bristling o'er with a host of the brave-hearted rifle corps. Hurrah! Hurrah! For the rifle corps, may they ever be ready to stand in defense of the right, and be willing to fight for the queen and their native land. Let the wine goblet brim with red wine to the rim, let beauty look on all the while, as with eyes that approve in the language of love she crowns the proud toast with a smile. May each rifle be seen round the throne and the queen should danger e'er threaten our shore, and with many a shout let the echo ring out, three cheers for the rifle corps. Hurrah! Hurrah! For the rifle corps, may they ever be ready to stand in defense of the right and be willing to fight for the queen and their native land. Careful when you find a friend. Set to music and published. Oh, if in life you'd friends obtain, be careful how you choose them, for real friends are hard to gain, and trifling things may lose them. Hold out your hand to every palm that reaches forth to greet you, but keep your heart for those alone who with pure friendship meet you. Then if in life a friend you'd find, be careful how you choose one. True friends are scarce among mankind. A trifling thing may lose one. A friend your heart may now relieve, and one day want relieving, so if from others you'd receive ne'er shrink from wisely giving. Be grateful when you find a friend, the heart that's thankless, spurn it. Let conscience guide you to the end, take friendship and return it. Then if in life a friend you'd find, be careful how you choose one. True friends are scarce among mankind, a trifling thing may lose one. When days grow cold the swallow flies, till sunshine bright returneth. When life grows dark false friendship dies, true friendship brighter burneth. An angel fair, twin born of love, it lights life's pathway for us, and like the stars that shine above, at night beams brighter o'er us. Then if in life a friend you'd find, be careful how you choose one. True friends are scarce among mankind, a trifling thing may lose one. Brotherly love. Set to music and published. There's a place in this world, free from trouble and strife, which the wise try their hardest to find, where the heart that encounters the sharp thorns of life will meet not that's harsh or unkind, where each tries his best to make joy for the rest, in sunshine or shadow the same, where all who assemble in friendship's behest are brothers in heart and in name. Let brotherly love continue, let the flag of the craft be unfurled. We all join hand in hand while united we stand. Tis the way to get on in the world. There's a pleasure in life go wherever we may. Tis one of all pleasures the best. To meet as we travel by night or by day one friend that's more true than the rest. Whose heart beats responsive to friendship and love, in faith, hope, and charity's call. Who, blind to our follies, is slow to reprove, and friendly whatever may befall. Let brotherly love continue. Let the flag of the craft be unfurled. We all join hand in hand while united we stand. Tis the way to get on in the world. Then let us, my brothers, through life's busy scene, should sadness or sorrow appear, be true to our promise, as others have been, and strive the dark pathway to cheer. 
Our stay is but short in this valley below. On all sides we troubles may scan. Let us help one another wherever we go, and make them as light as we can. Let brotherly love continue. Let the flag of the craft be unfurled. We all join hand in hand while united we stand. Tis the way to get on in the world. England and France. Written during the Crimean War. For music. Let the proud Russian boast of his granite-bound coast, and his armies that challenge the world. Let him stand in his might against freedom and right, with his flag of oppression unfurled. Old England and France hand in hand will advance in the wide path of progress and glory, that will win them a name on the bright scroll of fame, everlasting in song and in story. Old England and France, then, forever. Brave France and Old England forever. And while the world stands, may the glorious twin lands be united in friendship together. Both by land and by sea this land of the free, Britannia, the queen of the wave, proudly stands side by side, and in friendship allied, with France, the gallant and the brave, whilst the stern tyrant raves at his nobles and slaves, old England and France frown defiance, and both bravely press until the goal shall be won, then hurrah! For the glorious alliance! Old England and France, then, forever, brave France and old England forever, and while the world stands may the glorious twin lands be united in friendship together. Against the stream. For music. How oft, in life's rough battle, we, struck down by hard adversity, in saddest hour of trial see no friend with helping hand. Then in despair beneath the wave we sink, with none to help or save. When if we deep been both bold and brave we might have reached the land. Should things go wrong this is the plan. Forget the past as best you can, then turn your sleeves up like a man and pull against the stream. Yes, pull against the stream, my friends. That lane is long which never ends. That bound ne'er made which never bends to shoot its arrow home. If twenty times you miss your aim, or ten times twenty lose the game, keep up your spirits all the same, your turn is sure to come. Should things go wrong this is the plan. Forget the past as best you can. Then turn your sleeves up like a man and pull against the stream. In love or pleasure, work or play, men cannot always win the day, for mixed among life's prizes gay what hosts of blanks are found. Though skies today be overcast, though bitter blows the wintry blast, the summer days will come at last with hope and sunshine crowned. Should things go wrong this is the plan, forget the past as best you can, then turn your sleeves up like a man and pull against the stream. Wrecked in sight of home. For music. The ship through the sunshine sails over the sea. From many a distant clime comes she, freighted with treasure. See how she flies cheerily over the foam. Hearts are all happy, cheeks are all bright, the long absent land appears in sight. Little they dream that the beautiful prize will be wrecked in sight of home. The storm breaks above them, the thunders roll, the ship gets aground on the hidden shoal, and the turbulent waters dash over the bark, and cries from the doomed ship come till nothing is left the tale to tell, but the angry roar of the surging swell, so the grand old vessel goes down in the dark, wrecked in sight of home. And thus as we wander through life's rugged way, fighting its battles as best we may, seeking in fancy a far distant spot to rest when we've ceased to roam, and just as the haven of comfort appears, our hopes are all turned into sadness and tears, we droop near the threshold, ne'er enter the cot, wrecked in sight of home. Sonnet I could not love thee more, if life depended on one more link being fixed to affection's chain, nor cease to love thee, save my passion ended with life, 
for love and life were blanks of twain. I could not love thee less. The flame, full-statured leaps from the soul, and knows no infancy. But like the sun, majestic, golden-featured, soars like a heaven of beauty from life's sea. I would not love thee for thy radiant tresses, rich budding mouth, and eyes twin-born of light. No, charms less fateful thy dear heart possesses, gems that will flash through life's noontide and night. But simple words fall short of what I'll prove, accept them but as lispings of my love. Sebastopol is one. 1855. Set to music and published. Dance on. Ye vaulting joy bells shout in spirit gladdening notes, whilst mimic thunders bellow out from cannon's brazen throats. Tyrant! Awake ye, tremblingly, the advent has begun, hark! To the mighty jubilant cry. Sebastopol is one. Ring out, rejoice, and clap your hands, shout, patriots, everyone. A burst of joy let rend the sky, Sebastopol is one. No dream of brilliant conquest twas, nor selfish hope of gain, that sent the blood mad rushing through and through each Briton's vein, no. Such was not the spell that nerved old England for the fight. Her war cry with her brother braves was, Freedom, God, and Right. Ring out, rejoice, and clap your hands, shout, patriots, everyone. A burst of joy let rend the sky, Sebastopol is one. Shame! Shame! Upon the craven souls of those who trembling stood, and would not, dare not, lend a hand to stay this feast of blood, whose cringing spirits lowly bowed before the despot glance of him whose star now pales before brave England. Mighty France! Ring out, rejoice! and clap your hands, shout, patriots, everyone. A burst of joy let rend the sky, Sebastopol is one. Though hoary grows the motherland, her enemies may learn that neath her smile so queenly grand there lives a purpose stern. Then Britons chant exulting paeans, long pent-up joy release. From yonder flaming pile up soars the morning sun of peace. A ring out, rejoice, and clap your hands, shout, patriots, everyone. A burst of joy let rend the sky, Sebastopol is one. A. I am sorry to find that the aspiration here embodied has been falsified. War is now raging, 1877, and from precisely the same causes as those which led to the Crimean War, nearly a quarter of a century ago. Hold your tongue. Set to music and published. I've often thought, as through the world I've traveled to and fro, how many folks about me, above me and below, might make this life more happy, if old as well as young would bear in mind the maxim which bids them hold their tongue. Hold your tongue, hold your tongue, you'll ne'er be thought a dunce. Hold your tongue and think twice before you loose it once. Hold your tongue, for quiet folks are oft reputed wise. Hold your tongue, but open wide your ears and your eyes. How oft we find that words unkind unhappy lives will make, that loving hearts through idle words will bleed and sometimes break. What mischief have we scattered all our bosom friends among, which might have been avoided had we only held our tongue? Hold your tongue, hold your tongue, you'll ne'er be thought a dunce. Hold your tongue and think twice before you loose it once. Hold your tongue, for quiet folks are oft reputed wise. Hold your tongue, but open wide your ears and your eyes. The kindly deeds men do in life their own reward will bring, but where they come with trumpet words, their sweetness bears a sting. The silent giver s most beloved right-thinking folks among. So when you do a kindly thing, be sure you hold your tongue. Hold your tongue, hold your tongue, 
you'll ne'er be thought a dunce. Hold your tongue and think twice before you loose it once. Hold your tongue, for quiet folks are oft reputed wise. Hold your tongue, but open wide your ears and your eyes. Yes, hold your tongue, except in life when days of sorrow come. Then speak to raise a drooping heart, or cheer a darksome home. If none of these, let silence be the burden of your song. He holds his own, nor hurts his friend, who learns to hold his tongue. Hold your tongue, hold your tongue, you'll ne'er be thought a dunce. Hold your tongue and think twice before you loose it once. Hold your tongue, for quiet folks are oft reputed wise. Hold your tongue, but open wide your ears and your eyes. My Mother's Portrait Set to music and published. Ah, well can I remember. She'll come no more, they said. Her last sweet words, they told me, were blessings on my head. Ah, well can I remember what sadness all things wore in childhood, when they told me. She'll come, she'll come no more. Awake or asleep, sweet prize above all other, close to my heart I'll keep the likeness of my mother. Ah, well can I remember those eyes were filled with tears, the face that smiled upon me seemed sad with many fears. Who'll care for thee, my sweet one? Who'll love thee now? She cried, then from her arms they bore me, t'was then they said she died. Awake or asleep, sweet prize above all other, close to my heart I'll keep the likeness of my mother. What though, through cloud and sunshine, bright thoughts around me cling, though friends in kindness greet me, no mother's love they bring. I see her form before me, I see the sad, sweet smile, and yet my heart is lonely, so lonely, all the while. Awake or asleep, sweet prize above all other, close to my heart I'll keep the likeness of my mother. Nevermore. For music. A teardrop glistened on her cheek, then died upon the sand. With aching heart, as though twould break, she waved her trembling hand. And as the vessel cleft the foam and fled the rocky shore, she sought alone her cottage home and murmured, Nevermore! He ne'er returned. She drooped for him with all her girlish love, and oft her thoughts would lightly skim the sea, like Noah's dove. But every wave that danced along like silver to the shore brought back the burden of her song, and murmured, Nevermore! Lines on the death of the Rev. Canon Jenkins, vicar of Aberdare. If the great heart of lifetime in unison beats with eternity's throb through infinity's space, then our thoughts of thy goodness, which love oft repeats, may vibrate in thy bosom, though lost be thy face. Thy life was a martyrdom, noble the part of self-abnegation thou playedst for the poor, whose gratitude fixes thy name in each heart, wherein memory's shrine twill forever endure. Filial ingratitude. A fable. An oak tree falling on the mead by woodman's stroke laid low saw, as a handle to the axe which wrought the fatal blow, a bough that once upon his breast drew nurture from his heart, and as a tender, helpless shoot, grew of his life apart. Woe! Woe! He sighed, as on the earth he drew expiring breath. That what I nurtured at its birth should rend my heart in death. The vine and the sunflower. A fable. A very young vine in a garden grew, and she longed for a lover, as maidens do and many a dear little tendril threw about her an innocent spirit. For she yearned to climb upward. Who is it that don't? Only give man a chance, and then see if he want to rise in the world, though some fail to own tea, is a weakness we all inherit. So this very young vine, with excusable taste, and knowing such things for her good were placed, 
looked all round the garden with glances chased for a something her faith to pin to. The fair little wisher had thoughts of her own, nor cared for the pleasure of climbing alone, to perhaps the same feeling most ladies are prone, but that question we'll not now go into. The first thing that came in her youthful way was a gold-featured sunflower, gaudy and gay, who dressed himself up in resplendent array, and gazed on the sun as an equal. Look, look, quoth the vine, he's a lover of mine, and see how the gold round his face doth shine. So at once she began round the stem to twine, but mark what befell in the sequel. One morning, soon after, a hurricane rose, and as most people know, when the storm god blows, the hollow of heart is the thing that goes to the ground, and the wind sweeps past it. So the arrogant sunflower, lofty in pride, and hollow from root to branch beside, soon tumbled before the stormy tide, and lay where the wind had cast it. It was well for the vine that her tendril's hold was a clasp that a moment served to unfold, so she turned from the thing that she thought was gold with a heart for the warning grateful, and that which had dazzled her youthful eyes, which filled her young bosom with sweet surprise, the floor which she took for a golden prize, became all to her that was hateful. Poetic Proverbs I If thou be surety for thy friend, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Proverbs 6 V. 1. 2. Think well, my son, before you lend your name as bond for any friend, or, when the day of reckoning comes, come broken hearts and blighted homes. Think well, my son, before you give your trusty word, that knaves may live, be not for such the stepping stone, but strive to earn and keep thine own. 2. A wise son mocketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs X. V. 1. Be wise, my son, as o'er the earth thou walkst in search of wealth or fame. Return her love who gave thee birth, his, who thy youthful guide became. That mother's heart must cease to beat, that father's voice must cease to guide. Oh, then what recollection sweet will cheer thy life's dark eventide? 3. Hope deferred mocketh the heart sick, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Proverbs 13, v. 12, 19. I am watching, I am waiting, and my heart droops sad and low. No glad message brings me comfort as the moments come and go. While the flowers bask in sunshine, while birds sing on every tree, I am weary, weary, waiting for a message, love, from thee. 4. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 12 v. 4. As is the luster to the lily, as is the fragrance to the rose as is the perfume to the violet in sweet humility that grows. As is the glad warmth of the sunshine weaner the earth is dark and cold, so, to the loving heart that wears it, is virtue's purest crown of gold. V. Even in laughter the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Proverbs 14 v. 13. What though kind friends that gather round me seek to make my heart rejoice? I miss the face I love so dearly, Miss the music of thy voice, and though I smile, as if in gladness, tis but the phantom of a smile, my heart, in sorrowing and sadness, mourns thy absence all the while. Christmas Anticipations As the sun looks down on the ice-bound river melting the stream that is frozen o'er, so gladness to hearts that the long years sever comes with old Christmas as of yore. For the hearth glows bright in the yule-log's light, and we look for the face that is far away, twill come with the morn with the wakening dawn, and our hearts will be happy on Christmas Day. 
The holly branch laughs with its berries bright, as we hang it up high in the air. The mistletoe shakes with subdued delight the leaves that its branches wear. The ivy smiles out from its place on the wall, and the firelight gives welcome cheer. We have dreamt they are coming, and one and all are wondering, will they be here? Christmas bells are ringing, ringing, ringing out the olden chime. Choristers are singing, singing, singing carols, keeping time. And my heart is waiting, waiting, waiting for the day so near. For my love is coming, coming, coming with the glad new year. As flowerets turn towards the sun, as streams run to the sea, so yearns my heart for Christmas time that brings my love to me. Golden Tresses Like threads of golden sunshine by angels' fingers wove, sweet as the scented woodbine, are the tresses of my love. The winds that whisper softly I'd give my life to be, that I might kiss those tresses bright, and die in ecstasy. Those threads of golden sunshine like bonds my heart in chain and when in dreams I wander they win me back again. They throw a gleam of glory o'er the pathway where I go, as when of old, in splendor bright, heaven's angels walked below. Hope for the best. Hope on for the best. Where's the use of repining? Droop not by the way, for there's work to be done. Great ends are attained, not by fretting and whining, by patience and labor the goal must be won. Fear not the world's frown, though it spurn the downfalling, Twill shrink from a lamb if in lion skin dressed. Whatever be thy trouble, however enthralling, press onward, despair not, and hope for the best. If sorrow o'ertake thee, then be not faint-hearted. Life ne'er was ordained to be shadeless and bright. One morn from the other by night-time is parted. The sun always shines though we see not the light. Misfortunes in life, like the nettle, prove harmless. If grappled stout-hearted and fearlessly pressed, rich sweets, without bitters, soon cloy and grow charmless, then press on, despair not, and hope for the best. Gone before. The silent night is coming on, the day is gone and past, the willows waving to and fro their mournful shadows cast. I'm thinking o'er the happy years we wandered side by side, and oh, my heart is filled with tears, I've lost my darling bride. Softly sighs the evening breeze, and soothes my bosom sore, while angel voices seem to sing. Not lost, but gone before. I think of her whose gentle voice my drooping spirit cheered. In fancy see her eyes grow bright, when prosperous days appeared. And as, like vessels that from storms to quiet havens glide, we neared the haven of our hopes, I lost my darling bride. Softly sighs the evening breeze, and soothes my bosom sore, while angel voices seem to sing. Not lost, but gone before. Henry Bath Died October the 14th, 1864. For the charitable heart is as a flowing river. It moveth meekly and in silence, and scattereth abroad its blessings to beautify the world. Ever the silent river flows adown the mead in speechless eloquence, more telling than the language of the tongue, its heart reflecting heaven's own radiance in unmarred beauty as it glides along. Ever the silent river flows, and in its depths of untold wealth the source, what sleeping mist rise, hidden and serene, lie in their latent, undeveloped force, yet on it moves as though it ne'er had been. Ever the silent river flows, no shadowy nook escapes its placid glance, toward yes cavern dark with velvet step it steals, and passing on as though in dreamful trance, the story of its mission unreveals. Ever the silent river flows, it clothes the meadows with a fleecy mist, softens earth's arid heart with gentle rain, 
till by the warm and sunny morning kiss nature looks upward, fresh and bright again. Ever the silent river flows, and weeping willows, reaching prayerfully as though in adoration, droop to greet the dreamy river as it passes by, and throw their leafy blessings at its feet. Ever the silent river flows, all nature tells the story of its worth, a daily miracle, morn, noon, and night softly beneficent, of joy the birth, a voiceless messenger of hope and light. Ever the silent river flows, and so, in gentle meekness and sweet stealth, out from the life of him whose loss we mourn there flowed of charity a boundless wealth, to cheer the poor by griefs and sorrows torn. Ever the silent river flows, forever and forever flowing on, so runs the river of his goodness rare, a noble heritage from sire to son, with grateful hearts abounding everywhere. Song of the Worker To be sung in praise of those who deserve it, by those who think so. The strokes of the hammer ring out day and night, and the huge wheels whirl and they spin. The sky is on fire with the forge's light. Oh, oh! For the roar and the din the sparks fly aloft like a starry cloud, and the voices of workmen ring with a cheery refrain both happy and loud. And this is the song they sing. Bless thee, my master, bless thee. Prosperity always be thine. May plenty in store ever garnish thy door, and each day bring its blessings divine. The cottage that stands by the mountain side is bright with the cheerful fire, and the housewife gazes with honest pride on the faces of husband and sire, who, fresh from the forge, with their brawny hands the food that they eat have won, and this is the wish that each breast expands ere the bountiful meal is begun. Bless thee, my master, bless thee, prosperity always be thine. May plenty in store ever garnish thy door, and each day bring its blessings divine. Tis dark in that cottage and sorrow is there, for sickness brings troubles amain, the sigh from affliction is heard on the air, and sad sounds the mournful refrain. But some like in winter, a friend in their need pours the light over lattice and floor, and these are the words that emblazon the deed from the heart that with love brimeth o'er, bless thee, my master, bless thee, prosperity always be thine. May plenty in store ever garnish thy door, and each day bring its blessings divine. A hand that is princely, the heart of a king, all kindness and goodness combined, a name that will long, with the virtues we sing, deep, deep in our hearts be enshrined. And may the strong bond of affection like this be the pledge of good faith to the end, for sad will the day be should ever we miss from our midst such a true-hearted friend. Bless thee, a thousand hearts bless thee, prosperity always be thine. May plenty in store ever garnish thy door, and each day bring its blessings divine. The Brooklet's Ambition. In a sweet little glen, far from footsteps of men, once a bright featured brooklet was born, it could boast of its birth from a hole in the earth well protected by bramble and thorn. For a time twas content, nor on wandering bent, till the raindrops fell plenteous and free, and disturbed the sweet rest of the rivulet's breast, by whispering tales of the sea. What the rain had to tell made the rivulet swell, and grow large and more large by degrees till it broke with a bound from the hole in the ground, and was lost in a forest of trees. But it found its way out, and meandered about o'er the meadow, the lowland, and Leah, till it came, full of pride, with a thousand beside, and emptied itself in the sea. But alas for the stream, and alas for its dream of ambition! Such dreamings were o'er, when it found to its cost as a stream it was lost the moment it leapt from the shore. So like rivulets, Men, humbly born in life's glen, proudly dream as the lowlands they lave, 
that they're each one a sea, whilst they're only, ah, me, of life's ocean at best but a wave. St. Valentine's Eve. A dear little name I placed under my pillow on St. Valentine's Eve, just to work out a charm, for twas said if I dreamed of the maiden who owned it, I should wed her as certain as sunshine is warm, and lo, in my sleep, a sweet vision came o'er me, a fair-featured maiden, and beauteous as fair, in attitude graceful stood smiling before me, with eyes dark and lustrous, and brown flowing hair, her hand I took hold of, and gently endeavored the rosiest of rose-colored lips to impress, I whispered her name, and the vision departed, the name that I whispered was, no, you must guess, lost, a dark form lingers on the Leah, in the moonlit night, in the cold white light, beneath the shade of an old oak tree, like a dusky sprite, or ghost newly sped from the voiceless dead, and the flowers droop round it weeping, while the sad moon streams her white wan beams o'er the world as it least sleeping. And ere the morn a wail forlorn will arise from a lost one weeping. A soft step leaves the cottage door in the moonlit night, like a leaflet's flight. A pure heart leaps, full of rich love lore, toward yes the dusky sprite that stands like a shade from the voiceless dead, and the flowers droop round them weeping, while the sad moon streams her white wan beams o'er the world as at least sleeping, and ere the morn a wail forlorn will arise from a lost one weeping. Lily Bell Little Lily she was fair, oh how fair no tongue can tell. Life was bright beyond compare filled with love and Lily Bell. Little Lily came the day both our hearts were lorn and lone. Oh! What bliss it was to say. Lily Bell is all our own. Little Lily stayed and smiled on us for a year or so, then they came and took the child upward where the angels go. Little Lily left a mark, mark of light where yar she trod, left her footprints in the dark, just to guide us up to God. Upward then, we look alway, pray and shed the silent tear, hoping soon will come the day we shall join our darling there. Gone. Suggested on hearing of the death only a few days apart, of two infant children of an esteemed friend. Gone, like a ray, that came and kissed some flores, charming their loneliness with many a hue, but cheering only, as such marvels do, a few short hours. Gone, like a dewdrop jewel of the mist, that lives the briefest moment in the morn, sparkling in purity upon a thorn, then heavenward kissed. Gone, like a summer wind, that woke a thrill in every leaf it fondled as it fled, then left each leaflet drooping low its head mournful and still. Gone, like a swelling wail at autumn time, that went with such sad cadences away, t'was thought a god from heaven had come astray weeping sublime. Gone, like a dream of beauty in the night, that came to tell a fair and welcome tale, then left the wakening dreamer to bewail the dead delight. Life Dreams Behold yon truant schoolboy, Cap in hand, bound o'er the gilded mead with frantic whoop, and to each butterfly give ready chase, till one more gaudy than the fluttering rest starts up before his gaze. Then darts he forth to clutch the prize, which ever and anon lingers on shiny floor till nearly caught, then flickers off with tantalizing flirt. The youth with hopeful heart keeps up the chase, and so intent upon the game, that he sees not the yawning slew beneath his feet until he finds himself overhead and ears in dreary plight. And so it is through life, from youth to age men dreams of happiness, grasps every gilded bubble that upsoars, fondly believing each to be the prize his fancy pictured. Still the wish for joy is far beyond his reach as e'er it was, 
yet buoyed with hope, he sees, or thinks he sees, the coming future bearing in its arms the smiling beauty that he pants to grasp. With palpitating heart and trembling hand he reaches forth to pluck the prize, when lo, the tree trouse earth expanding at his feet, he finds in place of happiness, a grave. Aeolus and Aurora. Giving a little information as to the music of the gods. A. Said Aurora to Aeolus, as they sat o'er their bohi, surrounded by Zephyrus's, exactly three times three. Olus, dear, a new piano is the thing of things we want. I regret to say Aeolus raised his eyes and said, We don't. So unlike his mournful manner, when his sweet sad harp he plays, and he heaved a sigh regretful as he thought of other days, as he thought of early moments, ere Aurora's heart was won, ere beefsteak was fifteen pence a pound, and coals five crowns a ton, ere nine little west. Winds murmured round his table every meal, and the tones of a piano not but sweetness could reveal, as his own Aurora played it in the home of her mama, ere his own Aurora, blushing, had referred him to Papa. All these feelings moved Aeolus, but to climax in. We don't, as he heard. A new piano is the thing of things we want. It was settled, who could help it? For Aurora, like the rest of winning little women, knew that kisses pleased the best. It was settled, who could help it? So, the local paper brought, the quick eye of Aurora these glad words of comfort caught be. Dear Aeolus, said Aurora, this is quite the thing for me. All is just as it all should be. It's a lady's property. Piraps her husband as short of money. Piraps the rent they want to pay. Piraps. But cutting short my story, the piano came next day. Yes, the walnut case was beautiful, for beeswax made it so, and the keyboard was by collard. Collards registered. You know. It is true, it was full compass, but the richness wasn't much, and a feature felt in vain for was the repetition touch. Yes, it was a tricord cottage, and but little use had been, and the wood, like those who bought it, all inside was very green. It was worth a score of guineas, e'en if really worth a score, and the lady, who was leaving, ere she left sold three or four, piping hot from minor makers, though all collards make believe, and at each recurring victim laughed a laugh within her sleeve. Of course no breach of morals to the seller I impugn, although it costs five pounds a year to keep the thing in tune. I rather blame the buyers too for napping being caught, and that's the way, Eulis dear, a new piano bought. A. The foregoing lines were written several years ago, and published at the time, with the view of exposing a fraud too frequently practiced upon people in search of so-called bargains. Eulis and Aurora are no imaginary characters. B. A lady removing from, is desirous of selling her piano. A full rich tone, seven octaves, in beautiful walnut case, tricord cottage, repetition touch, registered keyboard, by collard, but little used. Twenty-seven guineas will be accepted, worth sixty dot, apply to, and C. Sonnet, on being asked my opinion upon the matter to which it refers. Shouldst thou find in thy travels a maid that is free, and content to love not in the wide world but thee, with a face that is gentle, be tea dark or be tea fair, and a brow that ne'er ceases good temper to wear, with a soul like a rosebud that's not yet unfurled, all strange to the tricks and the ways of the world, and a mind that would blush at its fanciful roam, should it dream there are spheres more delightful than home.
with a love that would love thee alone for thy sake in bonds which adversity never could break. Shouldst thou find such a treasure, then unlock thy heart, and place the bright gem in its innermost part, watch over it tenderly, love it with pride, and gratefully crown it thy heaven-sent bride. Sleeping in the snow. For music. Oh, let me slumber, let me sleep. The fair-haired boy in whispers sighed, then sank upon the snowy steep, while friendly hearts to rouse him tried. Oh, let me sleep! And as he spake his weary spirit sought its rest, and slept, no more again to wake, save haply there, among the blessed. Sleep, sleep, sleeping, he sleeps beneath the starry dome, and far away his mother, weeping, waits his coming home. We raised him gently from the snow, and bore him in our arms away. The sweet white face is smiling now, made whiter by the moon's pale ray. And when the sun in beauty rose we laid him in the silent tomb, where mountains with eternal snows high up toward yes heaven grandly loom. Sleep, sleep, sleeping, he sleeps beneath the starry dome, and far away his mother, weeping, waits his coming home. A. A. The late Artemis Ward in his American Drolleries tells a pathetic story of a boy, a German, who died from the severity of the weather, while traveling, in company with others, in the vicinity of the Rocky Mountains. He was the only child of a widowed mother. The intense cold induced drowsiness, and while being forced along by his companions with the view of counteracting the effects of the frost, his continued cry, uttered with soul-stirring plaintiveness, was, Let me sleep, let me sleep. Unable to save him, his companions permitted him to lie down and fall asleep in the snow, a sleep from which he never woke. With the rain, a dewdrop and a violet were wetted on an April day. The dewdrop kissed his pretty pet, then by the sun was called away. The drooping flower bewailed her choice. My love will never come again. But from the clouds came answering voice. I come, my darling, with the rain. The violet had jealous fears and told her sorrow to the rose. Say, is he faithful? Oh, those tears. The blossom whispered. Goodness knows. The recreant dewdrop came at last, and eased his love of all her pain. With kisses sweet her sorrows passed, and life anew came with the rain. Oh, on the death of a very intimate friend, a young surgeon, who died from fever, after attending a patient. Tis sad indeed to chant a dirge of gloom, to weave the cypress for a youthful brow, to moan a requiem o'er an early tomb, and sing in sorrow as I'm singing now. While men raise mausoleums to die brave, with flimsy flat-rise gilded tunes besmear, we need no banner o'er our brother's grave to tell what wealth of worth lies buried there. Gone! And the word re-echoes with a sound mournful as muffled bells upon the wind, sad in its influence on all around, telling of griefs that still remain behind. A thousand hearts may throb with tender swell, though every soul in deepest sorrow grieves, how much he was beloved they only tell. But who shall gauge the yawning breach he leaves? Dark is the social world in which he moved, lending his aid unmindful of the cost. Still does the heart the sternest amongst us loved, dim is the lustrous jewel we have lost. For souls like his, so tender and so great, are pearls that stud the earth like stars the sky, above the password at celestial gate, below, the germ of immortality. Gone. Just as life was breaking, full of hope, clothed in the gorgeous beauty of its morn, free in ambition's ever-widening scope, 
a pictured prospect exquisitely drawn. As void of self as angels are of sin, what sweet anticipation stirred his brain, what heights for others would he strive to win, what little for himself he'd seek to gain. But while the world was bathed in golden light, while beauty breathed from every opening flower, while streamlets danced along with gay delight, while mellow music filled each songful bower, with heart-warm friends whose love ran brimming o'er for him who, full of life, stood with them then. In such an hour death led him from the shore, and gone the worth we ne'er may know again. On the death of a friend, she left a mournful void upon our hearts. Within her home she left a vacant place. But, as the setting sun at even parts a holy twilight calm to nature's face, so, chastened, bend we o'er the early tomb of one who to us all was very dear, whose cherished memory, like a fragrant bloom, will live embalmed in recollection's tear. Lines, written in the prayer book of a young lady who had jilted her lover. To love unbeloved, oh how painful the bliss! By such passion our heartstrings we sever, like raindrops in rivers, which die with a kiss, we are lost in life's waters forever. Vicarious Martyrs, written and sent as a valentine to my henpeck schoolmaster. I wonder if thy tyrant knows that every peck she gives to thee brings down a perfect shower of blows on my companions and on me. Martyrs vicarious are we all, too great a coward thou to rule thy wife, or let thy vengeance fall on her, and so thou flogst the school. Stanzas, written at Tunbridge Wells in 1854, after having seen Lady Noel Byron, widow of the poet, Lord Byron, who was staying there for the benefit of her health. Like the moon that is waning, thou movest along, silent, pensive, and pale, through thy sorrow's dark night. For thou drawst from the rays of our bright sun of song the white coldness that lives where reflected as the light. And the stars which in fancy around the I see, as in bright golden fire they eternally shine, seem to cast from their splendor a luster on thee, as of light from thy husband's effusions divine. In the flush of his fame were thy virtues unseen, by his blinding effulgence of genius hid, could he now see thy face, with its sorrow serene, much might he unsay, undo much that he did. For I see in that face all the sorrows he told, all the sadness he meant in his marvelous lore, and the shadows of memory, silent and old, seem to come with the light from eternity's shore. And I feel, though the world said his spirit and thine were as wide as the sun and the moon are apart, that the beams of his love o'er thy bosom still shine, that the thought of his passion still nurtures thy heart. To Louisa, when a year old. My sweet one, Thou art starting now in life's heart-saddening race, with innocence upon thy brow and beauty in thy face, a tiny star among the hosts that fleck the arc of life, a tiny bark on ocean tossed, to brave its billowy strife. May virtue reign supremely o'er and round thy footsteps cling, while faith and hope forevermore celestial numbers sing. O may thy life be one glad dream of bright unclouded joy, thy love one pure and sunny theme of bliss without alloy. Should fate or fortune's dazzling rays lead thee to other climes, then, darling, let this meet thy gaze, and think of me sometimes. The Orator and the Casca Fable Introducing a Character from Life A speaker of the suasive school, who more resembled knave than fool, his prospects gauged once on a time, and sought how he might upward climb. The scheme political had failed, the star of piety had paled, the convert drunkard would not tell, his friends the cheat had learned to smell. All things our changeful friend had tried, had spouted far and shouted wide.
when all at once, ah, happy thought, the temperance cause in tow was brought, and with it, up and down the land, our hero roamed with lofty hand, consigning to a dreadful place, whose name this fable must not grace, all men, the one who touched a drop, with him who knew not when to stop. Arriving in a town one day, he on his string began to play, and mounted on a brandy cask with noisy speech went through his task. The barrel on whose head he stood at length gave vent in warmth of blood. Ungracious varlet, stay thy hand. What? Run down those on whom you stand? Then, utterance choked, he tumbled o'er, casting the speaker on the floor. And as he rolled along the street, Let me consistent teachers meet, he said, or give me none at all to teach me how to stand or fall. Thus seekers after truth declaim gains teachers, teachers but in name, who live by what they deprecate, and love the thing they seem to hate, who like the speaker raised on high on barrel top, gains barrels cry, who, though of others temperance ask, are slaves themselves to th brandy flask. The Maid of the War Set to music and published on the departure of Miss Florence Nightingale and her staff of nurses for the Crimea. When the cannon's loud rattle told tales of the battle, and the nations turned pale at the rout, when the clarion rang madly, and maidens wept sadly, and swords leapt with fire flashes out, one frail girl of beauty shrank not from her duty, but raised her sweet voice above the roar. Her bright smiles of kindness played o'er the dark blindness. Twas Florence, the maid of the war. When thousands down falling, for help were out calling, neglected, on straw pallet cast, a fair form drew near them to aid and to cheer them. Her shadow they kissed as it passed, eh, when they drooped in their sadness, or raved in their madness, she left her glad home from afar to heal up their sorrows, and tell of bright morrows. Twas Florence, the maid of the war. A. So impressed were some of the wounded soldiers in the hospital at the kindness and gentle treatment received at the hands of Miss Nightingale, that, unable otherwise to testify their gratitude, they kissed her shadow as it fell upon the pillow of the pallets, on which they lay. One poor fellow is said to have done this with his latest breath. Impromptu, on being asked by a lady to write a verse in her album. If I could place my thoughts upon thy heart as on this virgin page I now indite, what words unspoken would I not impart which only on my own I dare to write? Mary, died May 30th, 1860. But one short hour she came and tripped it o'er the rugged earth, like a light sunbeam o'er the troubled wave, then shrank in silence to her little grave, a rosebud bitten at its opening birth. The hand of death had tamed before her one who loved her well with all the fondness of a mother's heart whose darling soul was made of heaven apart eerie sank the echoes of her own death knell. And so she died, before her mind scarce knew the way to live. But sorrowing tears twere useless now to shed, our hopes must bloom, or mingle with the dead, as heaven alone deems fit to take, or give. Lines, on the marriage of Miss Elizabeth Mary Nicholcarn, February 6, 1868. Oh, blessed love! That clothes with laughing flowers life's martyr crown of thorns, and raises up the heart to hold communion with its God, tis thine, this day, with golden clasp, to bind the volume of a life, where sterling worth and beauty go to make the story up. A maiden, one, who, when on tiptoe, sees her history running through a line of kings, in fame how excellent, in life how pure, as though the virtues of her ancestry had found new utterance in her virtuous self. As raindrops, trickling through the hills of time, commingling gather, 
till, in sparkling life, they come, a streamlet, happy in the sun, to gladden all with beauty, so the gems that thickly fleck an old ancestral name from time how distant, center in the soul of her who comes this day with loving smile to crown a husband with such wealth of worth as tis her own to give. Thrice happy pair! May cloudlets never dim the arc of light that should engirdle all their lives, and make their home a paradise. If such should come, may they be transient as a summer cloud that mars but for a moment, yet to make the sky more beautiful. May truest love be with them ever, garnishing their lives with bliss perpetual, and lighting up their footsteps o'er the earth, as when, of old, God's angels walked with men. So shall they live a life which loving hearts alone may know. Impromptu, on the death of Mr. Thomas Neath, a well-known teacher of navigation at Swansea. He pupils taught to brave the gale secure on life's tempestuous sea, then, pupil he of death, sets sail to navigate eternity. The students taught by him, return in safety to their friends ashore, but tutor death, so cold and stern, brings back his pupils, nevermore. Extracts from some unpublished manuscript. Humility oppressed. Blame not the world, but blame its law that makes it crime akin to be of lowly birth, to lack the gold whereby to coat the mask to cheat the world of sterling merit. See yon beauteous fly breaking its plumage gains the glassy pane, till spent and weary, yearning toward yes the sunny and so the lowly born but large of soul see not, but feel, the chilling barrier set up by pride to mar their skyward flight to liberty and life. Upward strivings. See, when the simple moth doth blindly rush to reach the flame, its life oft pays the debt of folly. Yet tis nobler thus to die amidst all the brightness of a waking life, than from the world is out through darkened ways by beggarly installments, none to feel thy life but thine own poor ignoble self, and none to tell the moment of thy death save those who profit by it. Truthfulness. Ne'er seek, by artful guise of words, to taint the truth with falsehoods you. Poor, trembling truth. Trust in her would be boundless, if our tongues uttered the coin as fashioned in the heart. And then poor heart would have no need to send her champion blushes to the cheeks to tell the world how basely she had been traduced. Love's Influence O love sublime! How thy sweet influence agitates the soul, voicing its hidden chords, as breathing winds wake the rude heart to thrilling melody. All things must pass away, but love shall live forever. Tis th immortal soul of life. Scathless and beauteous midst th incongruous mass of desolated hearts and stricken souls, and spirits faintful neath a world of woe, and dusky millions in the mine of life, and all the rank corruption of the earth, its weeds, its thorns, its sadness breeding hate, its selfishness, its swallow-pinion friends, its rottenness of core and lack of truth, when all have changed, save nature and itself, this heaven-sent floor of Eden. Peerless love, shall blossom in evangel purity, and sanctify a host to people heaven. Value of adversity. Friction with sorrow rubs perception keen, and dear-bought knowledge makes us prophets all. Misguiding appearances. What? Is the graveyard sod less fresh and green, the daisies there less like the meadow floor, because pollution slumbers at their roots? Judge not thou, then, by what appears to be, but what exacting conscience tells thee is. Virgin purity. As fair a soul as ever came from God, and one more gentle never walked the earth in mortal guise. Of sweet external, too, fresh as the wakening morn with violet breath, and every action, look, thought, word, 
and trace were strung to tuneful melody. Her life was music's echo, stealing o'er the soul like dying strains, soft and retiringly. In childish grace to womanhood she grew, and like the virgin lily stood and smiled, flinging around the fragrance of herself unweeding of the blessings that she brought. Man's destiny. All human actions are ordained of God, and for the common good, yet men see not the strings that keep earth's puppets on the move, but whine and whimper, wondering at the ways by which unlooked for ends are brought about, as blind imprisoned birds bruise out their lives against the cruel bars they cannot see. Love's incongruities. Experience tells the world that we're as mad to link the present with the sluggish past, as wed the ways of winsome, wanton youth, to lean and laggard age. I pitied her, made her the mistress of my countless wealth, loving with doting and uxorious love. And the right graces of her radiant mind shone out resplendent. But my withered life woke to her love with seer and sickly hope, as some departed June, one with the sighs of waning winter, turns and spends a day for very pity with the lonely Yeldi, who greets her sunny visit with a glance of cold inanity, and strives to smile. Oh, had I known this little hour of time when life was young, or knew it not at all, then my heart's buoyance, at such love as hers, had blossomed brightly, as the merry may skips from the golden south with balmy breath, breathing upon the dark and thorn-clad fields, till fragrant buds peep out like love-lit eyes, and hedges redden as she walks along, as these, her love and mine. But now, alas, retribution. Oh, that the wretchedness entailed by sin might form the prelude, not the afterpiece. How few there are would brave the hurricane, how few the crimes mankind would have to count. Love's mutability. My heart is dark again. My tree of life but yestermorn was flushed with golden fruit. Today it creaks in pain, and wintry winds moan through its leafless boughs. Time, some hours younger, saw me clasp the sky of hope with radiant brow. The plodding churl may see me now go stumbling in the dark, and blindly groping for the hand of death to lead me hence. O life! O world! O woman! A mother's advice. Mother! Clarence, my darling boy, the world to which thou yearnst is gray with crime, and glittering vice will bask before thy face, as serpents lie in sedgy, o'ergrown grass, in glossy beauty, whilst life's potent glance will thrall thy soul as with a spirit spell. But hold thy heart, a chalice for the good and beautiful to crush, with pearly hands, the mellow draught which purifies the thought and lights the soul. Thirst after knowledge, child. Thy face shall shine, then, brightly as a king's, as did the prophets in the olden time when holding converse with the living God. As raindrops falling from the sky above upon the mountain peak remain not there, but hasten down to voice the simple rill, so knowledge, born of God, should be attained by peasant as by peer, by king or slave. Have faith, large faith. Some of life's mightiest great have peered out, like the moon from frowning hills, then ventured forth, and walked their splendid night in pale, cold majesty, while some have dashed on sunsteeds through the ocean of the world, as comets plowed the shoreless sea of stars, blinding old earth with wreaths of splendid foam and sparkling sprays. Others have strode the world like a colossus, and the glory light that streamed up from the far, far end of time, hath smote their lofty brows, and glinted down upon the world they shadowed, some have lived and cleft their times with such a whistling swoop that plodding minds seemed reeling toth away, men who had suffering purified their souls to angel rarity, that they might scan, 
like old Elijah, e'en the throne of God, and live. Clarence. Thy voice doth marshal on my soul to battle, and to dream of noble things. Thy golden words I'll graft upon my heart like blossoms wedded to the granite rock. But, mother, weep not. Why should April tears come with the sunshine of thy voice? Mother. Bless thee, God bless thee, Clarence. May thy sorrows be light and evanescent as vapory wreaths that fleck the summer blue. My dreams shall wing their way to thee, as moonbeams pierce the night. And I will send my soul up in a cloud of thought to heave in, wreathed with a mother's prayer for thee. Farewell, and be thou blessed. Sunrise in the country. What a sweet atmosphere of melody and coolness falls upon the troubled heart, like oil upon the wave. Dance on, dance on, ye couriers of the sun, full-throated choir, and skyward fling your sobbing psalmody, a sunrise offering to the coming day. On, on, still higher. Still rolls the torrent down, bearing the soul up in a cloud of sprays, the world seems deluged with a golden shower. Myriads of larks trill out their morning psalm, as though the stars were changed to silver bells timbering forth their sweet, melodious bursts in joyous welcome of the maiden morn. Faith and love. Man's faith in woman's love is all the darkened earth can boast of heaven. That faith destroyed, farewell to happiness, and joy, and worldly hope, and all that goes to deify mankind. Unrequited Affection She was a simple cottage girl, but lovely as a poet's richest thought of woman's beauty, and as false as fair. I've writhed beneath the witchery of her voice as cornfields palpitate beneath the breeze, have sued with praying hands. Lavished my life upon her image, as the bright stars pour their trembling splendors on the cold heart lake, wounded my manliness upon the rock of her too fatal beauty, like a storm that twines with sobbing fondness round the neck of some sky-kissing hill, bursts in his love, then slowly droops and flows about her feet a puling streamlet, whilst a gilded cloud is toying with the brow of his beloved. Twas gold that seared the love bud of her heart, to bitter ashes turned my life's sweet fruit and sent my soul adrift upon the world a wandering, worthless wreck. The poet's troubles. To be possessed of passion's ecstasy outswelling from the heart, the teeming brain afire with glowing light, as when the sun catches the tall treetops with summer warmth, and draws the trembling sap with impulse sweet through every fiber up to th glory crown, to feel the breath of some rare influence of subtle life suck at the throbbing soul as though into infinity to kiss the yielding passion subtle as itself to see the hand of God in everything, to hear his voice in every sound that comes, to long, and long, with passionate desire, to speak the language which the dream divine incessantly implies, to live and move in fancies heave in, yet know that earth still holds the fancy captive, these the daily death of many minds that wrestle all in vain gains that which heave in cruel kindness sends to teach mankind humility. Ah, me! The power to feel the touch of paradise and to enjoy it not, as hungering men have died ere now, gazing upon the food by heartless jailers placed beyond their reach. Echoes from the city. The modern Babylon sleeps like a serpent coiled up at my feet. London, huge model of the great round earth, the teeming birthplace and the mausoleum of millions, where dark graves and drawing rooms gaze from each other into each where flores of blushing life droop in the grasp of vice-like blossoms in the fingers of a corpse, where cankrouse gold sways, millions with a nod to abject slavery, buying men up as toys for knaves to play with in the game of life, where truth is kicked from foot to foot, 
till in bewilderment she cries aloud and swears to save. Her life she is a lie, where love and hate, in masquerading guise, pell-mell dance on, chameleon charity, in all its varying phases, crawls along, now shrinking up dark courts in russet tint, and then, in bold and gaudy colors dressed which publish trumpet-tongued its whereabouts, it takes a garish stand before the world and calls itself an angel. Thus for I, forever, rolls the dark and turbid stream in feverish unrest. Love's wiles. When beauty smiles upon thee, have a care. Kingdoms ere this have hinged upon a kiss from woman's lips, and smiles have won a crown. Glances from bright eyes of a gentle maid, whose cheeks would redden at a mouse's glance, have hearts befooled that in their noble strength had shaken kingdoms down. Have thou a care. Hazard in love. My soaring heart is like the blasted oak that clasped the dazzling lightning to its breast, yielding its life up to the burning kiss. Springs came along and fondled all in vain, and summers toyed with warm and amorous breath. But not in life could e'er again restore the greening foliage of its early days. Man never loves but once, then tis a cast for life or death. If death, alas the day. If life, twere perfect paradise. A mother's love. And friends fell from me, all, save God, and one beside, and she my mother, gentle, true. As the bleak wind sweeps o'er the trembling limbs of some fair tree denuded of its dress, how oft is seen, upon the topmost spray, one lonely leaf, which braves the passing storm of winter, and when gladsome spring arrives, and blossoms bloom in beauty all around, it bends its brow and silent falls away. So droop that friend, who through the livelong day of icy cold that chilled my inmost life, sat like a bird upon the outside branch, and sweetly sang me songs of coming spring. The shadow of the cross. Tis everywhere. The babe that sees with pain the look of feigned displeasure on the face of doting mother, and the mother who lays down the babe to rest, no more to wake. The youth and maiden fair who tempt the stream of love that never brings them to the goal their fancy pictured. Hearts that droop and break. Upon life's thorny way, old age that sees long hope for peace among the silent dead and deems it life to die. The shadow falls athwart the sunny hopes of every heart, and shadowy most when gentle arms extend for love's embrace, and find it not, as night is darkest near the dawn. Brighter the flame of light celestial twixt which in our hearts the blessed cross doth stand, sharper the shade that falls upon our lives, as greatest gains involve the pains of great adventurings or, nearer death, nearer eternal life. Curates and Colliers On reading in a comic paper very absurd comparisons between the wages of curates and colliers. If colliers were curates, and curates were colliers, I wonder what price the best coal would be then, whether meat would be dearer, or heaven be nearer, or truth be less earnestly preached among men. I know that the incomes of curates are slender, but curates get luxuries colliers ne'er see, which they don't have to pay for nor work night and day for, in minds dark and slushy on back and bend knee. Keep pulpits for curates, but pay them good stipends, keep minds for the colliers, but pay colliers well, oh, the pit, no detraction, brings pulpit reaction, for pulpits would sicken if collieries fell. Then go, sneering cynic, write nonsense and fiction on champagne and velvet, on satin and sin, though the joke may be able, tis false as a fable, and shows what a fog Fleet Street sometimes gets in. Wanted a wife. A voice from the ladies. Being a reply to. M.C.D.
who advertised in a Swansea newspaper for a wife, 1856. Deputed by some lady friends, who think, with me, when aught offends, tis best to have it out at once, not nurse your wrath like moping dunce, I venture forth, now don't be hard, and sneer. Dear me, a female bard! I'm not the only bard that's seen inditing verse in crinoline. A, I say, deputed by a few young ladies, tis no matter who I come, of victory little chance, with M, C, D, to break a lance, to intimate our great surprise to hear ourselves called, merchandise, to be obtained, there's no disguising the fact, obtained by advertising. Obtained for better or for worse, just like a pony, pig, or horse. And now, sir, Mr. M. C. D., pray tell us, whomsoever you be, do you think a lady's heart you'll gain by such a process? Oh, how vain! A. These monstrosities, I mean the balloons, not the bards, are now out of date, thank goodness. With us, we hold in blank disgrace the man who fears to show his face. A Tim Rouse heart we all despise, but we adore the flashing eyes, the manly form, the lofty hand, the soul created to command. Love comes to us, no bidden guest, for him who loves and rules us best. The rosy god lights not his taper for him who, in a trading paper, behind a printed notice screens, and fears to tell us what he means. Why don't he to the busy marts come forth and siege our tender hearts? Tis wrong to buy pigs in a poke, to wed so, what a silly joke. In promenade, church, or bazaar, at proper moments, there we are, to be secured by manly hearts, and when secured, to do our parts to temper life with him we love, and woman's fondest instincts prove, to yield submission to his will, and faulty though, to love him still. Then, M.C.D., I pray refrain. By means like these no wife you'll gain, if you've no manlier mode to try, will single live, and single die. Fragments and trifles. Sympathy. A wit, reduced in means, in marketplace hawked buns all hot. A chum, with sorrowing face, came up, condoled. The wit exclaimed, Have done! Your sympathy be bothered, by a bun. A fragment. Once on a time a grimy sweep was creeping down the street, when Corden Loaf, the biker's boy, below he chanced to meet. Sweep! sneered the baker, and the sweep gave Puff a sooty flout. But Puff Crumb did not deal in soot, so turned his face about, nor did he care to soundly drub the imp of dirty flues. Go change your clothes, said he, and then, I'll thrash you when you choose. It will not do for me to fight, with such a sooty elf. My jacket's white, t'would soon be black, by tussling. With yourself, law versus theology, on an eminent county court judge. Some pulpit preachers think so very deep that drowsy listeners find themselves asleep. But the deep-thoughted law which teaches makes wide awake all those to whom he preaches. The broken model, to one who well deserved the strictures which these lines contain. When nature saw she made a perfect man she broke the mold and threw away the pieces, which being found by Satan, he began and stuck the bits together. Hence the creases, the twists, the crooked botches, that we find— Sad counterfeits of nature's perfect molding, hearts wrongly placed, a topsy-turvy mind, things that deserve the scorn of all beholding. It needs no oracle in Delphic shade to name the model from which thou wert made. Impromptu, on an inveterate spooter. If wealth of words men wealth of wisdom called, and measured genius by the way she bawled then, 
would be the head of all the crew, the king of genius and of wisdom too. A character. In childhood spoilt, a misery at school, in wooing, what you might expect, a fool. In small things honest, and in great a knave, at home a tyrant, and abroad a slave. Couplet, on a pauper whose wealth grew faster than his manners. Paupers grown rich forget what once they've been, though, born a pig the snout is always seen. Pause. On the hesitation of the Tsar to force a passage of the Danube, June, 1877. I, hesitate. Soldiers who stop to think are lost. So said a soldier, eh, ere he died, lost, then art thou, thus shivering on the brink. Death was thy father's cure for humbled pride. Eh, Wellington? The test of the stick. Mick Malone on the tramp, weary, dusty, and warm, thought a pint of good ale wouldn't do him much harm. But before he indulged, just for conscience's sake, he thought he'd the views of authority take. So poising his stick on the ground, so they say, he resolved on the beer if it fell the beer way. If it went the contrary direction, why then he'd his coppers retain, and trudge onward again. The shillelagh, not thirsty, went wrong way for Mick, who again and again tried the test of the stick, till, worn out with refusing, the sprig tumbled right. Bring a pint, sang out Pat, which he drank with delight, and smacking his lips as he finished his beer cried, Success, Mick, me boy! Always persevere! Note, concerning you and W.Y.L.L.T., and Estevad at Neath, and my first prize poem. I think I ought to mention here that the Ode on the Death of a Very Intimate Friend, page 199, was written in 1853, before I came to reside in Wales. About three or four years after this, I forget the date, a prize was offered at an Estevad held at Neath, by Mr. James Kenway, the then mayor, for the best monody on the death of Mr. Edward Evans. I competed for the prize and obtained it. The model of the ode was taken by me in writing the monody, the general conditions of the two events being somewhat similar, and much of the same language is used in both poems. I may add, as a matter that may be interesting to some, that the Neath Estedvad prize was the first for which I competed, and the first I obtained. The adjudicator was the late Mr. J. Roberts, UNWYLLT, whose death, as I write these lines, is being recorded in the newspapers. In adjudicating upon the poem, Mr. Roberts said, In this production we have the traces of a muse of a superior order. The language is chaste and poetic, the versification is clear and melodious, and the mournfully pathetic strain that pervades the whole elegy harmonizes well with the sorrowful character of the subject. As regards both matter and manner, the writer has excelled by many degrees all the other competitors, and his elegy is fully deserving the offered prize. It is not too much to say that to the encouragement contained in the foregoing remarks of UNWYLLT was due the spirit of emulation which led me subsequently to compete at the various Elstedfidau in the Principality with so much success. The End <laughs>